All right, back in studio here. The Robert Scott Bell Show is about to commence. Favorite time of the week, you know, Sacred Fire of Liberty with Jonathan E. Mord. We're getting updates from the, the campaign trail and what he's doing. I don't know if he can reveal it all today. It's pretty exciting stuff that's going on. Also, uh, if you guys want to go to Virginia and help out, or if you're in Virginia want to help out, we'll get you some updates there uh, as well. Uh, great, great trip to Arizona, a couple of days out there and, uh, you know, some things, some more things to share about it coming up also in hour two, Raphael Sendro. He had a lot of interaction with, uh, uh, off it. Interesting, fascinating things. When you realize that these people have self-proclaimed experts and scientists and doctors, when you ask them some serious pointed questions that they should have answers for, they kind of disappear. They scatter. They run away like the light shines and they scatter. We'll talk about that. The homeopathic remedy of the day uh, is from India. And they used to make rope out of it. Maybe they still do. We'll talk about that as well. So stick around. Lots more healing to go, even politically, on the Robert Scott Bell Show with Jonathan E. Mord coming up in just a moment. Robert Scott Bell Bell Show. Now, the voice of health, freedom, and liberty, here's Robert Scott Bell. I'm wondering if if we're approaching the time where I have to open the show and say, the longest running something kind of show in, I don't know. (laughs) I'm just, as I go out and travel the world, the country, around places, and I'm like, I'm starting to not feel like an old man, but feel like I've been around so long that people are looking at me like I'm an elder or something. And it's getting me a little nervous. That's why I need Jonathan Emore on the on the show, because he has a little bit more gray in the hair, not much older than I am. And he is certainly wiser than I am, I think. And, uh, you know, I'm the wise guy. You're the wise, wise man. So uh, I just want to share as we're opening the show today, Jonathan, and, and there's a lot of good stuff we got to cover. Good things as well on your campaign trail to become the next U.S. Senator from Virginia as well. Uh, so Super Don is getting a little annoyed with me. I keep winning the challenge of the week. And, my, you know, last week was my 58th birth year week anniversary, whatever they call it. And I won it again. Okay. So he's like, this is ridiculous. You got to try something new. It's not even a challenge for you anymore. <laughs> and I did my 58 burpee, burpees. I think I did 60 because I wasn't sure if I counted right. I'm old. I don't know. <laughs> no problem. So he says, you got to do something else. So we came up with this idea. I don't know if he did or I did jujitsu, the ground game stuff. Now I like the boxing and now I've even gotten to the point where I can kick and you do the boxing. Your dad was a boxer and I love, and I appreciate it so much that sport, but I admit I've never wrestled. I never did because I was, you know, not well when I was young. And the doctors, the orthopedic doctor said, you got to swim because you can't do land stuff. That's how bad it was. So I went in. I was in Arizona and I, I went to a, a buddy of mine who has a jujitsu gym. I actually did it. Now, I did get thrown around by a woman. I'll just have to say, you know, if you've been training and it's not about how big or little you are, if you know technique, it's it's astonishing what you can do. So I was just stunned by it, but I, I enjoyed it. It's a whole new side of things, so I'm getting into that level of training, so I'm ready for combat if you need me. Well, I need you, Robert. You're going to be called up right off the bat. Uh, We're going to make sure that you're inducted and that you get over there and take care of business. Uh, (laughs) You're a little whirling dervish, Robert, and you you leave a trail behind you of death and destruction. No, no. You know what? I want to be able to... I think the, the, the positive message here, Jonathan, you know, is about standing up for yourself, defending yourself, 
believing in something and standing and defending it, right? And I mean this for all of us, men, women, everything. That's why I think those that take up these athletic endeavors, including wrestling or jujitsu, it's an amazing thing because you can walk with confidence knowing like you, you've seen some of these active shooter things where some people know and they kind of take the guy down and nobody's hurt. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, so ever since I was a little teeny kid, my father, before I could even walk, had me on the mat uh, in the gym watching the boxers he was training. And as soon as I could stand up, he was teaching me how to box. And it's, it is an ex- incredible thing. He taught my sisters how to box. Um, I've taught my own children how to box. Mm-hmm. Every, every person really knows how needs to know, particularly in today's day and age, um, how to defend themselves. Yes, and there's great confidence building, as you know, from training and boxing. It's an exhausting, gruesome, grueling uh, regimen and uh, takes a lot out of you. But you know what? If you can get through that, uh, you know that you can stand up uh, strong against any opposition and and really nail them if you have to. And that's uh, self-defense. Knowing how to protect yourself is yeah. basic minimum. Uh, we all live in a world in which there are any number of threats that any moment can confront you uh, and you have to be able to know what to do in that circumstance. And so training, training in in your way um, is good. And really um, I, I think I'm so grateful that my own children are so strong. Yeah. Very athletic. Uh, It's it'll not only mean longevity and good health, but it'll also mean um, they can protect themselves if they're in a picture. Oh, and I think of the, the girls, you know, I have a daughter, you have a daughter as well. Growing up, I want them to be strong, and my daughter is very strong. She does a lot of athletics as well, but to learn how to defend yourself, because as I've seen just from one experience in jiu-jitsu, that a woman who knows how to take somebody to the ground and, and pin them, it's amazing, even if they're bigger, what right. you can do with the proper leverage. And But I was like, talk about it, something new. I mean, I know how to do a lot of stuff, but I'd never done that. It was very, it was almost more mentally taxing than physically to me. I had to think about what I was, because I'd never been in those situations and positions. So I'm like, I'm very encouraged by it, but also daunting the task it is to learn something new. But I, it, it, it keeps us young to engage that way. So I just want to encourage everybody, especially the ladies, especially when there are men pretending to be women wanting to compete with you ladies. You need to be able to take them down, put them out. I'm just saying. Well, you're so right, Robert, as you usually are. And um, uh, when it comes to Joe Biden, for example, Robert, I wish he would work with you, train with you. <laughs> the only thing is that uh, he would think he prevailed when he was flat on the mat. He would have a poor memory as to what happened. He wouldn't yeah. got there. Well, uh, he's but, going down okay. to the border, so uh, yeah. I think you, you mentioned that maybe he could just be the left board. alone. He'll walk over, and that'll right. be done. I, I think the Secret Service just stood back a little bit. And he'd meander across the border over into Mexico. And that might be the solution to our problems. <laughs> that, would, that would solve some stuff. It would. The, yeah. Look, I want to get some of the campaign updates out of the way. And not because I want to get, get right to them so people can know as we're starting out today's broadcast that there are a lot of things folks can do from around the country to support your efforts to become the next U.S. Senator from Virginia. Uh, there's a, a weekend event, I think, in Richmond uh, that they might need some volunteers for. Of course, the signature gathering is going well, but it still needs to be done. You don't count your chickens, right? You got to get it done and then some to be covered. So that's ongoing. Um, Super Don, there was a phone number and even an email. If you guys want to participate in some way, 
you can come in from out of state to do some of these things. You don't have to be from Virginia. In fact, as I said to you, Jonathan, if you need me like later in the month after my other trips are done, I'll be there for you. You know it. So there's a, a phone number or you can actually email Jonathan directly, jemord at emord.com to connect you, you know, to the volunteer network if you want to support. Yeah, I say, you know, you can, if you're in Virginia and you're hearing this program and you want to support us, there's a very simple way of doing it. You call that number, you email me at that uh, email address. We'll send you the ballot petition form. And if you're married or if you have a child or if you have a friend, uh, you can be the collector of a petition signed by your friend, just one signature. And your friend can be a collector of a signature of yours, just one signature. You can get them notarized. You can pop them in the mail and uh, get them to us. And believe it or not, that really helps. I mean, we have uh, thousands of people in Virginia who subscribe to our newsletter and who are also donors. And um, we've, we're notifying all of them of that simple method of just simply getting their own signature in front of someone else who becomes the quote unquote collector of the signature. And then you have to go take it to a notary, which you can go to at any library or any government office or at any bank. And then you just send it off to us notarized. And there you have it. You have a uh, already completed ballot petition. We have to collect uh, 10,000 valid signatures. And we are uh, determining validity as we go along by evaluating with data crunching uh, whether or not there are the signatures are valid and so forth. And thus far, knock on wood, we have 8,000 valid signatures. Oh, we need 10,000. We have accumulated over 13,000 total signatures to date, but 8,000 are valid. And we need uh, this weekend, uh, the great news for Virginia is that President Donald Trump is coming to Richmond. And uh, that will draw an enormous number of people. And we already have uh, great prospects there for completing the whole ballot initiative. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm delighted to say that we're going to complete that initiative early and we're going to get on the ballot based on it if there's a, an accurate count. We've been very, very careful. We did not, uh, one of our competitors paid over $300,000 for a company to Whoa. buy his way onto the ballot essentially. We chose, they came up to me, the same group, and wanted me to pay 400000 Wow! Uh, I'm, I'm not going to buy my way onto the ballot. We have a grassroots support in Virginia. It's the, uh, reflective of the popular support we have for our campaign. And that's who we depend upon. We're depending upon volunteers. We have some people on our staff and with our staff who are paid, and they go out too. But we're not, I'm not going to pay some company uh, $400,000, $350,000 to uh, hustle up uh, all the signatures when really it should be done by people who support you and want to see you on the ballot. And so yeah. that's what we've relied upon in our campaign. Doing it the right way, as always. And thank you all for your consideration and support. Many of you have already supported, and, and I continue to ask for that. We've got a lot, lot more to do this calendar year to see this through. And to have um, Jonathan in there impacting and, uh, you know, that sphere of influence that you carry on here and elsewhere in your life to do it in the U.S. Senate will be a benefit, I believe, to all of us uh, to bring the Constitution back to the fore. So grateful for that. Now, I want to ask you about a constitutional question. Um, this is an interesting story. Brought, my wife brought this. She said, I want to hear Jonathan talk about this. And mm -hmm. it's a headline and it's all over the place. But uh, New York Post article we have linked up in the show notes at robertscottbell.com. Federal judge rules $1.7 trillion trillion dollar spending bill passed by Congress in 2022 
yeah. is unconstitutional. Now, I would say, Jonathan, outside of this story, most of what they pass to spend on is unconstitutional, regardless of quorum or not. But this is an interesting angle. I don't know what it means to the future or to that 2022 uh, fiscal year. What happens now? And explain what, what this is. Well, the government will be certainly appealing this rather quickly. Um, this is a, a decision that I think is right. Um, the Founding Fathers contemplated members of Congress would actually serve in Congress, that it means that they would actually attend sessions of Congress and that only if they were present in a quorum could a vote be taken. And Nancy Pelosi unilaterally decided that, well, that's not necessary. We'll just allow people to vote from home. And during the pandemic, that's what she did. And this is one of the bills. And that is just her own decision. You know, we're going to change the Constitution. We're going to change what is required. No, uh, the means that are required in the Constitution are the ones that they must follow. Now, the Democrat leadership, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, the President of the United States, Joe Biden, they don't seem to think that they are bound by the Constitution. And so they continuously violate it and they violate the separation of powers and they violate the non-delegation doctrine, and they violate even this, the re basic requirement that members of Congress be in Congress and vote as a quorum in order to vote. In other words, a quorum has to be assembled in Congress for them to have the right to vote. And they didn't have a quorum. And the judge is plainly right. It's very simple but profound. And so he's taking this huge bill, which would be lovely if we could get the money back. Right. Um, but this is the, you know, the taxpayers deserve that more than Nancy and her friends and crony, sure. crony capitalism uh, that it's funding. Um, but we'll see that it'll be appealed to the circuit court and we'll see what happens with the circuit court. It might end up probably in the Supreme Court. Supreme Court will have to say and hopefully yeah. they'll do the right thing on this one. Let, and me, I let me ask a very elementary question. Why would they put such a requirement of a quorum in person into the Constitute. Why would that be important? I, I mean, and he seems well, because you know a, a legislature is to be a deliberative body, and when you're away, I mean, they've had many instances where the sergeant in arms has been tasked with bringing in members of Congress. Some people have come in ill on a sedan chair and so forth to vote. Uh, people have have been dying and have come in to cast their vote. That's how critical it is. Uh, that there be a quorum and that it be present and that individual members be available so that they can be persuaded. Now in the era, you know, in the electronic era, supposedly, I guess you could have text messages and you could have phone calls and so on. But uh, that, does, that, that does not excuse really the fundamental purpose of this, which is to ensure that individuals are physically present and that there be an actual deliberative body, a council, if you will, to discuss the legislation. And that's really what Congress is supposed to do. And there's no substitute, you know, for that deliberative body, face-to-face -face interaction, one member to another, uh, really there's no substitute. Uh, and Zoom calls or anything else is not sufficient. Uh, and if you are to do these things where you don't have a physically present quorum, if you want that to happen, amend the constitution right. to make that clear. Yeah. Well, Don't that like Ron Paul perspective is like, dude, stop violating the Constitution. If you don't like it, change it. Right. Yeah, that's what Article five is about. You know, George Washington said, let there be no change by usurpation. 
For though in one instance it may be an instrument of good, it is the customary weapon by which free governments are destroyed. The rule of law means something. Constitutional law is supposed to be the supreme law. We need to respect the Constitution enough so that we don't violate it, even if it is with regard to how you cast your vote. And, you know, these people want all of us to vote like that, right? Hmm. They don't want they don't want the historic method for voting honored even in the states. And they wanted to take over by federal uh, usurpation the uh, province of the states in running elections in a bill that they their voting rights bill that they introduced, which would have destroyed, you know, patent violation of the Constitution. So it shouldn't come to as a surprise to us that they routinely violate every aspect of the Constitution to achieve the ends they want without regard to the means. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we'll see where this one goes. Uh, the The idea that because it's been violated so so many times so much and all the time it does get violated that we don't have to change it. Uh, you know, it's like, what's the point of having a Constitution if you're not going to use it, right? Uh I, I don't think that's a weak argument. The question is, will the courts uphold this ruling? And again, what will it mean that they finally go, you know what, that you just can't do that. <laughs> We're used to saying and pointing out that the vast majority of things our government does at the federal level in particular are not substantiated within our constitution. They are basically unconstitutional, but they happen all of the time, Jonathan. And I think that's you know part of what Dr. No was all about. You know, when, when Ron Paul would vote no on everything, it, was, it wasn't just to be annoying. He was well, like, well, show me where in the Constitution that's that's authorized. I mean, it's not too far but from allowing people to vote remotely to allowing them to vote remotely with a proxy to allowing them to vote remotely based on turning over the power to do so to the speaker or whoever, rather than voting individually on, and being accountable to their constituents. The whole idea of the founding fathers in creating Congress and the way in which it was created, uh, having congressional districts that are local and having senator, senators that are statewide, mm-hmm. um, it, the, the whole idea is based on the uh, very serious notion in the, in the Constitutional Convention that this was a large territory that we needed to have a responsiveness to individuals in individual parts of the nation. And that um, in order to do that, you needed to have this breakdown. And then in addition, you needed to have a deliberative body in which people from all over would be conversing, interacting before legislation. We have this philosophy from the same person who did this, Pelosi, that, you know, we'll pass a bill and then we'll read it. Remember, she said, uh, well, we'll pass the bill first before we read. Yeah, find out what's in it. I mean, that's an abdication, abnegation, excuse me, of the fundamental role of a legislator, which is to know what the law is that you're voting on. If you don't know what the law is you're voting on, what is that? That's just total derogation of your constitutional responsibility as a legislator. Well, at this point, many people have kind of given up on any semblance that there'll be a constitution that is in operation. Uh, You and I are not giving up on it. Uh, At the same time, I don't have singularly the power to change the course of history. I don't believe I'm delusional enough to do that. But I say that each one of us that stands our ground and defends something that we believe in and, and is able to speak eloquently, intellectually, with passion, sometimes spirited debates, discussions, and even arguments, uh, we can achieve some level of bringing some of those folks back that have either given up or maybe don't know the basis for why there even is a constitution. Uh, And I say this in, in context of there are people that are living in a bubble, Jonathan, that believe whatever they're being told about, you know, you could say, well, this is about Trump. 
oh, he's so dangerous. Yet look at what Biden has done. It's like they don't want to hear anything but what they're you know, reinforcing their beliefs. I don't know how we reach those people, but there are a lot of people that are in the middle that are suffering and going, you know, maybe I should extend out of what I thought I was politically to support someone like, well, Jonathan, you're running as a Republican. There's some people that never vote Republican. There's some people never vote Democrat. But the point is trying to look at the individual. My appeal, look at the individual and not so much whether they have an R or D or an I or an L by their name, and then assess, you know, is this person invested in my freedom or a form of tyranny? Because, you know, all the censorship that's gone on, some of those folks in the bubble are happy the censorship is going on because it's suppressing people they don't agree with. But they're very neglectful of the reality of history is that when someone else takes control of government, wins an election, that they have those same powers that they liked when their guy was in office, And now suddenly it's like, oh, my gosh, it's like that level of naivete or something is just that that's what I perceive to be really dangerous. Well, you know, it's interesting. Part of what you said uh, reflects a conversation that I had just yesterday with a person who was uh, a very staunch Democrat, she said. And um, uh, so I said to her uh, because she was very dismissive. She said, oh, you're a Republican. There's no way I can vote for you. I, I'm a Democrat and I, w- I don't vote for Republicans. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she was a very intelligent person, uh, but um, but was just sort of wholly swept up in the propaganda right. of the, the media and the leftist agenda. And so I said to her, I said, well, um, would you would you agree with me that the fair thing to do in assessing a candidate is to assess them on an individual basis rather than just categorize them and uh, say, well, I'm just going to condemn them because they are a Republican? Uh, would you agree with me that uh, you should assess the individual merits of a candidate? And she said, um, well, yes, but if they are a Republican, they've already adopted an agenda, and that agenda is... Um, Uh, one that violates people's rights and so forth. And I said, well, would it surprise you then to know that uh, for the last 38 years, I have actually litigated to defend the rights of individuals whose rights were being violated by the government? And she said, oh, well, there's no such thing as government violating your rights. Industry does that, but not government. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, you know, the Bill of Rights is directed against the government as the greatest threat to individual liberty. But let me give you an example. And then I gave her the folic acid neural tube defect example. And I told her about what the FDA had done. And then I gave her other examples, the ECM case where the FTC tried to destroy a company that provided biodegradable plastics right, in right. the environment. So these things didn't fit the narrative, right? So right. she then said, well, maybe in your case, um, you're a good person and you're you're one who did fight for good mm-hmm. things, but still you're a Republican and I can't really vote for a Republican. And I said, so in other words, let's assume for the moment that most of what I've done in my career, most of what I plan to do in Congress would be uh, something that would benefit people by protecting their rights. Because in truth and point of fact, uh, my whole career and my plans are to protect individual liberty uh, against violation of rights, whether it's due to a crony capitalist state in which the government colludes with big business or is due to a Marxist agenda, which really is what the present administration is imposing on America. And I said, you know, would you agree that defending individual liberty is a good thing? And she said, well, yes, but not in certain areas. We do need socialized medicine and so forth. She, that's what she said. So I said, okay, well, on the socialized medicine front, 
do you think that a patient deserves the independent professional judgment of a physician? And she said, yes. And I said, okay, well then would you object to that uh, individual professional judgment being overridden by a proxy for the government or by the government itself? And she said, oh, well, that wouldn't happen. And then I said, let me give you an example. And then I gave her the example of the Whitaker case. Mm-hmm. And um, she then said, oh, well, you know, I guess that does happen. And I said, yes. And I said, so I can't convince you to change your basic predisposition unless you yourself are open-minded enough to consider whether that can happen. But I leave this with you, that judging a person based on the R or the D is a very superficial way of assessing it. Looking at what they really stand for might persuade you that in certain instances, and maybe in my case, you will help yourself, your family, their future, and everyone around you in your neighborhood far more than a community organizer has. And I said, um, you know, you may believe some things, collectivist things are good, but if it overrides your rights and makes you a servant or a slave of people in power, maybe that's not a good thing. But we left and she said, I really like you. I think that you're a good person, but I could never vote for anyone who is a Republican. But I left her thinking, Mm-hmm. And maybe someday she'll change her mind. Well, I, I greatly appreciate that. That's what I love to hear. They are seeds that we plant of doubt. And, and it's not because we want to denigrate someone who has a different view than us, but to appeal to something deeper, I think, something, you know, looking at someone, as you point out, you recognize she's intelligent. You didn't denigrate her because she had a view that, you know, we might not share her view on, but you appeal to the intellect. And I think that's a higher calling. And I'm just, you know, for me, that's, it kind of gives me chills because there are a lot of folks that I wish I could reach given the time and, and that kind of, I I'd say compassionate discourse that you had, not angry. You weren't, you know, speaking down to her. It was really a wonderful kind of interaction that brings us back to our humanity. And, and it's lost in the, I believe whatever I'm being told propaganda, stay in my bubble. I would never do what? Vote for a Republican, vote for a Democrat, et cetera. And I don't think on either side it's good because we've seen extremes on both sides. And there are people that have an individual merit. Like we've seen some weird stuff happen, like with that guy from uh, Pennsylvania, right? That voted in as a Democrat senator, couldn't even speak. And now suddenly he finds like conservative Democrat roots. It's like, Okay, I don't know where that guy was. Maybe it was a medical issue. But I guess the point is, again, merits, individual, liberty. Where can we find that alignment and mission, purpose, and spirit in the essence? And I think in that regard, she found more in common with you than she probably has with a lot of Democrats if if she were to engage in that kind of discussion. Yes, and um, I I find it interesting because um, it's oftentimes because of the blinders that they put on and their associations in life, that they abandon the principles of liberty that are the foundational things. They don't really, for example, many of these folks simply don't understand the foundational principles of America. I don't expect everybody to be a scholar of the founding generation and understand the law intimately and how the regulatory state came to be and so on. But I do think that it is something we have to insist upon an education that our children are informed of the truth about the struggle for rights in America, 
against the crown and that the ideological foundations of the constitution are unique in all the world. And that uh, only here in the history of the world uh, was a nation founded for the very purpose of protecting the rights of the governed. And when uh, people don't get that sound education and they don't get it today in virtually any area of education, they are deprived of the truth about this wonderful nation that we have and about this great constitution and this great declaration of independence that is our unique legacy. And so the sad thing is that so many people are being misled and they're being taught to hate these things that are the greatest things in the world. And they're being taught to believe that system of, systems of government that have historically enslaved people are the great things. And that our unique history of liberty is to be condemned. And that somehow we as a people, we are among the, the most generous, in fact, we are the most generous people on earth, um, are to be condemned for some outrageous concept that we are trying to take away the world's property or trying to substitute ourselves for others. Uh, the history of the United States, even in wartime, has been after the war, we've relinquished the territory. We've turned countries back into their own governance and we have not occupied and controlled the world. If, that, if this were the Soviet story, that they became the world's single superpower, you can very much assure uh, yourself that the communists don't give up what they take, that the leadership it consumes all of it, and that every people that are under communism are enslaved. And that is the, that's simply the truth. It's not a uh, political propaganda speech. It is the reality. And yet so many people mouth um, the propaganda lies of mm -hmm. Marxists in today's environment. Uh, every, every, you know, all these members of Congress, AOC, yeah, Bernie Sanders, and so on. Contextually, again, you've written here, I always have it with me, <laughs> this history that most of us never learned going through grade school, high school, all the way up through university level, uh, the authoritarians. And this book is, uh, you know, it should be, uh, not that I like to require and mandate things, but, you know, when you think about required reading for young people growing up to understand the, the, the country they live in, how did we get here? You know, we could look at Biden and all the reasons why we don't believe he's fit to be president, but it it isn't like Biden happened in a, a bubble vacuum. You know, it's a lot of what you talk about in this book that led to the acceptance of some of the ideas that he has propo proposed or has been a proponent of. And the progressivism of the 19th century, and the 20th century led to the growth of a, a bureaucratic state that combined all three branches of government. So separation of powers was no longer there to keep everything, those things that we used to learn about, checks and balances, they were gone. And much like in a communist state, a fascist state, or other kinds of things where government has grown so far beyond protecting the, the rights of the people, where it was only established that way in the United States form of government, originally anyway, uh, that we have come to the point where we have an oligarchy. Maybe it's not called communism, but it very much is violative of our individual rights. And we are enslaved to that system. And you have been, again, battling in the court system as an attorney to fight for those individual rights against the administrative state that denies them. And, and this doesn't mean you're all for the corporation either, because the corporate control of the government is what allows for or what 
uh, and inevitably well, my drives to really has been one uh, that is significantly involved fighting against the interests of drug companies and preventing people from gaining access to information about the therapeutic effects of nutrients. Right. And, you know, I it's very simple. I believe in the Constitution of the United States. I believe in the rights protections that the Constitution provides. I believe that we have our rights from God, not from government. And I believe that those rights are unalienable as the Declaration defines them and as John Locke defined them and as Thomas Jefferson defined them. And I, I think that those are the most precious things. Our most precious uh, um, commodity is liberty. That is our most precious commodity. The world knows us, defines us as a free people. That is our hallmark, our characteristic. And that very thing is now under siege. And we will lose it if we don't win this election. If we don't defeat Joe Biden, if we don't win the United States Senate. And I believe the American people, a vast majority of them love liberty and appreciate this. And I think they're going to reject this whole movement, which is to destroy our sense of nationality, our commitment to the Constitution, open our borders and let foreign agents run rampant through this nation and be, have their allegiance to foreign powers, foreign governments and foreign laws and yeah. uh, just do whatever they want here in this country and not uh, protect American citizens' rights that are being violated by those who come across and murder or rob or destroy property, as well as those who create very simply a massive underground economy, because no one here who comes in illegally can funk, can be employed legally. They end up being employed illegally and they're ripped off. Yes, because they are paid sub minimum wage. And in that sense, they're ripped off, but they get their just desserts in the other sense, which is they're not, legally but who pays the price for a massive underground illegal economy well a whole bunch of american citizens who would otherwise have jobs yeah, and a whole they, they that. Oh. who would otherwise compete lawfully and you have mm -hmm. the companies hiring people illegally and they're getting the benefit of lower costs of labor yeah. and that's on an illegal basis and then the honest broker who follows the law has to hire people under the laws that exist and they have to pay more and they're punished by this administration and they have to pay out more and they're paying, they're subsidizing, mm -hmm. all of us are, through welfare, through food stamps, through Medicaid, a massive army of illegal citizens. I, I'd, like, I'd like to thank Jonathan. Of American citizens. Yeah, that many people who have been historically Democrat voters for whatever perception they had, it's the right thing for them to do, uh, would now see the reality that they would be better off if they left America and snuck back in and pretended to be an illegal immigrant, that they would get a better deal. They would get free stuff. Well, we well, Robert, about. we're standing up for American citizens, regardless of race. Yeah. We are condemned as racists. We're condemned as racists because we don't believe that the United States should give it all of what we own to every other country of the world and to turn over our whole country to foreign control. We are told that we are racist because of that. We are told that we're racist because we believe in a border, because we believe that we have to protect the rights of American citizens first, and that actually the whole constitution is there to protect Americans. How about 
That's that's why. And yet, yeah. what are we talking about? We're not talking about race. We're talking about secure borders. We're talking about it having a nation at all. We're talking about having a constitution that functions and the rule of law being respected. And for that, we are called racist. Yeah, or other other words or terms. Right. Look, and then it's 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 not intellectual. It's not engaging in debate discussion to ad hominem attack people and not use words correctly because if you define racism, it doesn't fall anywhere into that realm. Well, it's ranked character assassination. Yeah. And that's what Tim Kaine has done, and that's what he continues to do. They just recently falsely accused me of being a insurrectionist. Wow. Well, you know what? They falsely accused me, and uh, Tim Kaine did this, yeah. as well as USA Today uh, uh, newspaper. Which I didn't is, see that. Oh, my God. USA really? Today newspaper has a journalist there who uh, I gave her the, my straight answer. She didn't publish it. She just publishes propaganda to be used by Tim Kaine. Mm-hmm. And that it was used by Tim Kaine. Here's what I said, Robert. She said, um, are you going to be at the rally in uh, Washington for the J6ers? I actually couldn't be there because I was going to be at a speech instead. But anyway, she said, are you going to be at that rally? I said, no. She said, well, do you support the J6ers? And I said, uh, here's my position. My position is that the small minority of people who assaulted police and who uh, destroyed property are rightfully prosecuted. Everyone else who is simply engaged in, at worst, criminal trespass, which is even arguable, but who were on properties that the government said they shouldn't be on, should not be prosecuted, should not be incarcerated, should not be penalized. And that's the overwhelming majority of J6ers. Mm-hmm. And I, as, as far as I'm concerned with regard to those people, in the instance where there is not direct evidence that they uh, destroyed property or that they uh, committed an assault or battery against police, Uh, or National Guard, they should be immediately released. So I will introduce legislation to grant immediate release and amnesty to every single one of them who did not, through direct evidence, assault police or destroy property. And so that was my position. She just wrote, Jonathan Emord supports insurrectionists. Wow. And Cain then writes immediately. So collect intellectually uh, dishonest. Jonathan Emord uh, uh, stated to USA Today, USA Today newspaper that he supported insurrectionists. I mean, total, total lie, total distortion. And yet that is how the media operates. Right. It's character yeah. assassination. It's falsehood. Well, and yet that's how they operate. That's what we can expect. Oh, yeah. And so we're going to have committees of correspondence, like in the founding. And we are going to communicate the truth every time they state a falsehood about me. And we are going to maintain the attack on Tim Kaine, who, is vote, who votes for, stands for, and supports this massive centralization of government power and deprivation of our rights. And we are going to fight him tooth and nail. And he is going to be held accountable for the first time in his life for the horrors that he's caused the American people to suffer, for the open borders, for the failure to protect American troops and civilians in Afghanistan when they ignominiously withdrew just the troops and left the civilians and left all of that sophisticated multi-billion dollar military hardware. Jonathan, I want to add this because- 
Tim Tim Kaine supports uh, protecting the borders of Ukraine before the borders of America. And this is, you know, we really need to have a, a, a serious debate and reassessment because it used to be, you know, in the early 2000s, post 9-11, we had the neocons primarily in the Republican Party that that entered engaged in a disastrous foreign policy that wasn't targeting the cause of the, what really happened. And now we have the preponderance of Democrats and some Republicans that are still engaged in neocon foreign policy of, of per, securing borders of countries that that, uh, you know, really our national security interests are, are are more important there than they are here, protecting our borders where terrorists are coming up through. The, I mean, that's I think can you, imagine this? can you imagine during World War Two? If this is an, an analogy. Can you imagine if during World War Two, the United States were to take the position that it's OK, we're not going to do anything to stop Nazi Germany from having its submarines harbored in uh, American ports. Can you imagine if they, uh, in an act of appeasement, were to say that any Nazis entering the United States through our borders would not be arrested, prosecuted, or uh, sent out of the country? The, The terrorists who are coming through, Hezbollah, Islamic Jihad, uh, and um, uh, all of the other Middle East terrorist groups that have open access through through our southern borders to the United States, including all of these Chinese nationals who are pouring through by the hundreds into the United States, who are agents, most likely, of the CCP. They certainly are only able to get here through the allowance of the CCP and those numbers, no question about it. And yet we do nothing to defend ourselves. Drones are coming across the border every day. Those are drones from the cartels. They're also drones from foreign countries and enemies of the United States, most likely. And they're engaging in surveillance and they're dropping drugs and they're doing all sorts of harm to this country. We have all of this wreckage, all of these people's lives killed by fentanyl and coming in. It's made in China and, and developed by the cartels, poured into this country. No defense. Can you imagine if Joe Biden were president during World War II? Might be a wholly different outcome. Imagine now that he is president because he is. And think for a minute about the powder keg that he has built here in this country by three years of unremitting invasion by foreign nationals into this country with no protection, no vetting. That is a betrayal. He is the true Manchurian candidate who won. He has given up protection of America. He cannot remain. And he has to be replaced. And who talks about America first in the same manner in which all those soldiers who've died for this country in foreign wars, who've defended us all the way back to the American Revolution, who put their lives on the line, those individuals are deserving of our respect, and they must be honored by our protection of the very thing that they fought for, which is the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. And there's really no one more strong in his commitment to defending our country than Donald Trump. And so here we have it. We are looking at an election coming up. On the one hand, we have a person in Joe Biden who loves himself. His family has engaged in influence peddling, violated the Constitution violated the fraud laws, violated extortion laws, violated bribery laws, not being prosecuted. 
and he's asking to be president again. And then we have another person who they've persecuted for the last, what, six years, who they persecuted, who they falsely accused, who they take off the ballot, who they victimize constantly, who they're suing in four different jurisdictions without a sound elemental foundation for any of the cases. And they think that the American people are going to do what Abraham Lincoln said would be the end of America. He, Abraham Lincoln said in 1838 in the Lyceum in Springfield, uh, when he was the head of the Whig party in, in Illinois, he said, if destruction be our lot, we must be its author and finisher. As freemen, we will live for all time or die by suicide. And that's the question in this election. Are we going to let a person who is killing us literally by his inability or desire to leave open our nation to every foreign element that hates us? Are we going to let him continue and destroy our nation? Will we commit suicide as a people? Or will we reject that, insist on protection of our rights, and ensure that we prevent foreign powers from seizing control of our country? And that's where we are. Another four years of this, mm -hmm. we will have a nation that is ruled by foreign powers and not by the United States, with a people comprised of a substantial number who do not believe in the Constitution, have never been asked to, have no understanding of it, and have no re uh, respect for the rule of law. Jonathan, I, I will argue you're right. In many ways, we're already being ruled by foreign nationals uh, that have no allegiance to our Constitution. And those in Congress right now that are not calling for a, a removal of our participation in the World Health Organization are, are you know, clearly just set, set, acknowledging we don't need to control our own destiny. Let's turn it over to a bunch of bureaucrats, uh, uh, pharmaceutical often, uh, uh, globalists that would then tell us what we can and can't do in response to a pandemic real or imagined. So there's a lot of stuff that you got to get into the U.S. Senate and uh, kind of have that sphere of influence and your ability to, uh, you know, through intellectual discourse, through history, through all of the things that you know to go, hey, you guys, you don't know this, but here's this. And I realize not everybody's going to be open to that, but I think you have a capacity to do so because most people, when they hear you speak, uh, you know, on the campaign trail, uh, every time I've witnessed it too, and I've known you for a long time, so it's not new for me, but to witness new people hear you for the first time, they're like, whoa, wait, this guy actually believes what he says, says what he believes, and he's not a politician. And so we're at that point, uh, you know, that precipice, we've talked about the Constitution hanging by a thread, etc. I don't want to have my kids, you know, now grown, I I having to fight in the streets for our freedom. And I know there's a lot of places in like Democrat run cities where that's happening. You just got, you know, guns are banned and the only people that have guns are criminals you know, shooting anything that they want without abandon. No one's prosecuting them, taking them off the streets. I mean, we are at a place of adopted lawlessness by a certain segment of our population, believing that to enforce the law and the Constitution is somehow, as you point out, racist, which it is not. It's the furthest thing from that. 
equal protection under the law means, you know, blinding yourself to pigment. That's not the issue here. It's about right and wrong. It's about not violating the rights to life, liberty, and property that exist and pre-exist each human being here uh, before even government was established. But right now you've got people, as you point out, coming in through the primarily the southern border. They have no earthly idea what freedom really is. They might hear, hear of the word. Well, we're still, you, Robert. We're still. I mean, the cartels are determining who comes into this country. In many ways, yes. And, uh they're they're getting fifteen to thirty thousand dollars from each entrant who's coming across, except for those who are their agents. And it's not that the cartels are across the border and sitting there vetting people uh, for criminal purposes. They're also in this country, Robert. They are here through their agents, the drug traffickers, the sex traffickers, terrorists, foreign nationals. They are working in tandem and complicity and con in conjunction with these entities that they are controlling and letting into the country. This is a situation where the, the cartels are themselves terrorist organizations. It's we have our own Hezbollah across the border. They're called the cartels. And they are interested in destroying, raping, and looting the United States and people in it. And we are doing nothing to stop it. In fact, we're incentivizing it. We're giving welfare, food stamps, uh, Medicaid, um, uh, uh, tax identification numbers, cell phones, um, transportation at our expense. It's about a million, excuse me, it's about $100,000 per illegal of benefits we are giving them to come into the United States. That's why we have this massive deluge mm -hmm. and it's unremitting and never stopping and it's getting worse and worse. And the reason for it is it is a planned destruction of the United States. You know, if you want to be a dictator, if you want a communist country, and these people do, if you want that, then you have to destroy the most vibrant economy and you have to make people so afraid that they will give up their rights for security. And that's what they're doing to us. They tried it with the pandemic. Look, they got a whole bunch of people to get that horrible vaccine. And they did it by terrorizing people. They told us that we would all die if we didn't get that vaccine. Of course, we got the vaccine and we still got COVID. I didn't, but many did. And, the, and in addition to that, they said, well, if you don't get these boosters, you're gonna die or you're going to get a horrible illness and you need to be able to keep your immune system up. And that was a lie. And then they get all the boosters out there, Robert. And then they tell people that they have to mask their faces, even though COVID is a nanoparticle and passes right through a single strand of thread. And so the whole thing was a lie. And we were, and they knew it at the time they said it. And Fauci is the greatest betrayer of the United States engaged in gain of function research with our biggest enemy, the CCP, through Colonel Xi at the Wuhan lab. Are you kidding me? And then he lied and lied. And then all of his lies were made policy of the United States. And everybody was suppressed and censored who disagreed, including Dr. Robert Malone, who was raising the flag and saying, this is suicide, guys, don't go with this. Mm -hmm. This MNRA platform is gonna increase our incidence of cancer, age-related diseases, adverse effects. 
Yeah, remember. And they censored everything he said. A big part of our domestic policy was established because we established or allowed to be established the capturing of our our, our agencies, our government, and establishment of the medical monopoly, a pharmaceutical church, so to speak, where only one voice could be heard. And it was all in unison, as you said, lie after lie after lie about getting a shot, distancing, masking, drugs only. And the drugs that they promoted were the ones that would kill you. The ones that good doctors were promoting had a very low toxicological profile or maybe a high safety profile. And there were other things in the dietary supplement realm that worked in alongside or even in place of those drugs. Yet we're in a country where our government prohibits the use of things that they don't sanction. So we got to, you know, it's not only the foreign element coming through the Southern border, we've got our own people that have abandoned freedom and are actively supporting various forms of uh, isms that are not part of our constitution, including fascism and communism and socialism, uh, when it comes to the choice of medicine, that we should each individually have the freedom to not only know what our options are, but to choose those options, even when the government says, we don't think that's the right option for you. Gets back to individual liberty. Do we want to be in control of our own lives or do we want to cede that control to government bureaucrats who have a political agenda and who will decide what's in their interest? You know, that's the wonderful thing about um, public choice theory that revealed a lot to us, which is that it's not just private actors who pursue their own economic interest. It's public actors who pursue their own political and personal financial interest. And as a result of that pursuit, they collude with industry to ensure that they get good jobs when they leave. They benefit the industries that they regulate. It's called industry capture. They also pursue political agendas because that will get them the favoritism now of not only the government, but also key international industries that are trying to cozy up to the communist Chinese for access to their markets. And it's a fool's errand. When you cozy up to Xi Jinping, you end up dead or you end up in a camp or you end up getting everything that you have taken from you if it's profitable. Uh, this is this is what you do with tyrants. You don't, uh, the founding fathers knew well, you don't play with tyrants. You have to uh, reject tyranny. And they well understood that those who, who were in complicity with tyrants in the, themselves would end up enslaved or abused. Mm-hmm. And that's the history of tyranny. I mean, you just don't uh, get into the same sack with a tyrant unless you want some loathsome disease that will kill you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the best friends of Stalin are oftentimes the ones who died. Oh, the people yeah. who agree to give up their liberty uh, end up like in Venezuela, where you have rampant inflation, you can barely survive, and you're a total slave. And if you raise your head above the parapet and say, I object, they cut off your head because it's considered uh, a, a threat to the regime. Um, well, we don't I want think that. that in terms of censorship, if not uh, literally, figuratively, uh, the cutting off of the head or the cutting out of the tongue of those who are not, um, you know, uh, in line with whatever the uh, predominant party is saying regarding, you know, health and healing and medicine, et cetera. That's a big part of your journey as an attorney fighting for the rights of individuals to access medical treatment or non-medical, but uh, also that, uh, you know, individuals that form companies to say, hey, we've got some breakthrough stuff here and the government is prohibiting us from talking about it. First Amendment violations and the ignorance of those. And and I don't mean to call, this is not calling somebody name. This is not a, a denigration when you say somebody is ignorant of the reality of why or how this has happened is kind of the history that you've written about extensively and the authoritarians as well. Now, I want to switch last few minutes with you today, Jonathan, before, by the way, where are you going to be this evening? You're speaking where in 
and Fredericksburg, Spotsylvania GOP mass meeting tonight. Okay. So if anybody's in spot, I didn't even know there was a Spotsylvania, Virginia. That's kind of wild. The name Spotsylvania. So uh, that'll be great. But uh, when you go to the Senate, uh, there are some allies on certain things, but even they are not, you know, they need some help. They need you there. But uh, apparently Cruz and some GOP senators are doubling down on anti-central bank digital currency legislation. Uh, and the legislation is saying that the Federal Reserve lacks the authority to issue a CBDC to Americans without authorization from Congress. And I would say, and you know this as well, the Federal Reserve shouldn't exist, you know, as an entity. And that could be something you could bring back up with uh, Rand Paul there, that what his dad had done as well, in addition to stopping CBDCs at the federal level, as all the while we're doing it at the state level, too. That's right. Uh, centralized digital banking currency is nothing more than government total control over every transaction that you make in the marketplace. It's a way of knowing instantaneously exactly what you spend your money on, and categorizing you. And so you combine that with like an ESG agenda, and suddenly what you have is the government uh, depriving you of resources when you will use them for a thing that the government thinks not is not good. So you want to, uh, you haven't had the, vac the next vaccine, right? And you wanna go to uh, tr fly somewhere. Well, you find that you can't use your, your central digital banking currency card uh, you can't use digital currency because it's cut off. And the reason is that you didn't comply with the mandate from the government to go and get you vaxxed. It's that kind of thing writ large across the board. The only reason why the federal government under Biden wants exclusive control and exclude all other private digital currencies and only have a central digital banking currency is so that government can monitor every transaction you make. And this is an outrageous violation of your privacy and of your political interests and also of your financial independence and economic liberty. So if they can control your money, they can control your actions. If they can control your actions, they can enslave you. And that's the simple problem with this. And so it's good to see that there's legislation being introduced to stop it. But of course, it's in a Democrat Senate. So that legislation is not likely to go anywhere because the Democrats are in lockstep with Biden and the Department of Treasury and the um, Securities and Exchange Commission, which already have written up the regulatory, uh, the regulations to impose a central digital banking currency on the United States. And that, my friends, will be the end of our liberty. Yeah, it'll be all over. And if you're a fan of the Robert Scott Bell Show, they will shut you down. <laughs> they will make your money not work. If you're a fan of Jonathan E. Mord and he and and his very cogent and clear answer on the J6 issue, if you haven't engaged in any violence, you know there's no evidence of insurrection. I mean, then you know the USA. And you know what? If you had, if you didn't engage in violence and you didn't destroy property, which is the overwhelming majority of people. Mm -hmm. Those people being detained and now soon to be arrested, even for just standing on the Capitol grounds. Yeah. Those people are political prisoners. They yeah. are subject to a two tiered system of justice in which they are being routed out and punished because of their political views. While at the same time, anyone who is sympathetic with a liberal cause, including those who Palestinian supporting people, actually supporting Hamas, Hezbollah, Islamic Jihad, who filled the Hart office building, trespassed, 
not a single one arrested. Yeah, no not equal protection, no equal justice. Uh, Jonathan, there, there's so much more to talk about. and We always run out of time doing the Sacred Fire of Liberty Hour with you, my friend. Uh, and uh, gosh, yeah, I just don't, I hesitate to leave it there because there's so much more to discuss, but we got to, and I know you got to hit, hit the road. Once again, folks, if you want to volunteer, help get signatures in Virginia, they're nearing the completion of it. You want to be part of that history-making process, uh, call 202-466-6937, 202-466-6937, and ask, hey, how, how can I get connected and, and what can I do to help? And they'll direct you to get connected. You can gather signatures. As I said, if, you, if you're not there yet, mid, mid-March, I'm coming, you know, so... Uh, I'm hoping that you get there before then. Obviously, a lot of less stress if you do, but uh, I'll be there if you need me. And you well, know, we're, we're three quarters, more than three quarters of the way there. Uh, so, you know, God willing and uh, thank goodness to all the volunteers and hopefully there'll be more from this program. Uh, we'll get there. But I really do think that we have to put on a full court press and make sure that we do not yeah. just reach the 10,000 mark, yeah. but that we exceed it by several thousand. Yeah, I know. I know that's the game that they they play with uh, the incumbents not wanting to cha- get challenged in any way. So, uh, Jonathan Emord four VA E M O R D F O R V A dot com. It's at robertscottbell dot com today in the show notes. I appreciate you, my brother. Love to you and the family. Yep. See you, Robert. All right. We'll see you soon. We got a whole other hour broadcast healing coming up. Uh, Raphael Sendro is on and. Uh, he took on, I think, off it. There's an interesting story, and we've got his substack, talmudiclaw.substack.com. We'll talk about some of the things he engaged in. Also, uh, <clears throat> stunning act of scientific censorship. Uh, more of that? Uh, yeah, there's more. And then the homeopathic hit of the day. Uh, my friend Michael Bolden is going to love this one. It's cannabis indica. I'm, tell- I'm telling you, even homeopathically, we got that covered. We got you covered. <clears throat> An interesting uh, uh, perspective as a homeopathic remedy. So stick around for that and a whole lot more. The Robert Scott Bell Show continues because the power to heal, even politically, is yours. All right, hour two commences the Robert Scott Bell Show. It's uh, February 29th, Leap Day. It's the bonus day that happens once every four years, and we'll fill it with some more good stuff this hour. Uh, we have Rafael Zendro scheduled to join us from Talmudic, talmudiclaw.substack.com. Going to talk about an interaction he had with Paul Offit, which is uh, fascinating as well. And uh, also pers- perspective on... Uh, Going back to, I guess, the Hebrew scriptures, you know, what when somebody says, uh, you know, the Judeo-Christian faith, I don't want to vaccinate. And then somebody says, well, there's nothing in the law of your belief system that says you in the Bible that you shouldn't vaccinate. You know, we'll get into some of that perspective. I've been reading some of the things that he's uh, he's written about on his Substack, And again, that's at uh, well. Well, let me just see. I have it right here. It was interesting. Semmelweis 2.0 abstract. Not many people know who Ignace Semmelweis is or was. Uh, so to have that, I, I know that this guy is a student of history as well. So I'm looking forward to hearing from him. Uh, we've got some more discussion of censorship of the scientific variety in just a moment. I do want to say special thank you to those that support this message of health, freedom, and healing liberty. 
two hours a day live, five days a week, plus two hours plus because it's, you know, bonus round as well. And then our Sunday conversations, uh, an additional hour on Sundays, uh, pre-recorded on various subjects that, uh, you know, get into deep level conversations on what makes you tick. Why, why do you believe what you believe? I love those conversations. I learn a lot from them. I hope you enjoy them as well. Uh, as well as thanks to, uh, Bobby Oren, who I've mentioned many times over the past year or plus ever since, uh, he brought the Folium products to my attention and got them to my mother at from 88 to 89. She was ailing and, uh, 89, her birthday a year plus ago, she, she celebrated the new year and her birthday by dancing. And then at her 90th birthday, I was there celebrating. We showed you video and she's still dancing. And I'm just uh, so impressed with the Folium products. If you hit a ceiling in your healing, please consider them. I, I hope that you don't wait for that ceiling, but uh, to realize how much we have to counteract in terms of oxidative stress damage from heavy metals, from environmental toxins of all sorts. And uh, that includes ionizing radiation. And the Folium products uh, are amazing for that, to address that. And you know, whether you do the original, which is where you start the folium original or immuno or a relax or all three of them, it's a profound protocol that you can engage in very safely, very simply to achieve extraordinary things. So go to foliumpx.com. You can use the code RSB10, get 10% off. Uh, say hi to Bobbery. You can also uh, send them an email info at foliumpx.com if you have any questions about how to tap into that and how to do it. And if you need help getting it done. Bobby's a great guy. Remember, he came from the Soviet Union-controlled area of Georgia and then uh, brought this formula that was developed in response to the Chernobyl disaster of 1986 in Ukraine and then came to Israel and then came to America. So he's doing a lot of good, and uh, he's on a mission. want to help him achieve that to get people well, no matter what their circumstances. So thank you, Bobby. Shout out to you, my brother. And uh, we got a lot more to discuss, including upcoming events. Next week, I'll be heading out to Atlanta. Uh, and this is the big event uh, with uh, the Warners are putting on with a lot of a lot of good people, including Peter McCullough, who's engaged or involved in this next story. I'm going to share with you momentarily. Uh, there's Judy Mikovits and more. And then uh, stick around in the Atlanta area and head to Buford uh, after the March 7th through 10th event. Then it's March 14th through 17th. Next Steps Conference. Next-Steps.info. Tia Severino is putting on a fantastic conference just outside of Atlanta at Lake Lanier Islands. And Superdon, if you can put that up for everybody to see, there it is. The third annual conference. I'll be speaking on the first day, so please don't wait to get there. Get there the first day on Thursday, the uh, 14th of uh, March. And uh, that'll be like in Lake Lanier Conference. Many of my friends will be there. You're my friend. Go there too. We want to see you there. And that's going to be exciting and amazing and uh, setting up parallel tracks to do better. Not waiting for permission where none is required. Get out there and do it. And that's what we're doing here. So I'm grateful for that. Hey, Super Day, I'm a bit sore from my first experience on the jujitsu mats. It's hard to believe that was yesterday. And, uh, you know, I'm like, I'm walking. I'm like, I'm feeling it in my calves, a little bit in my thighs, my legs, and my toes of all things. Toes. Mm-hmm. And, and See, I, I told you it was your beginning going to be muscles you don't normally use, or an, uh, use in that and, way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, Tomorrow it was, will be worse, as you know. It, yeah, the second day is usually worse. I mean, yeah. overall, I mean, I I was more sore when I did those seventy-seven squats with dumbbells overhead uh, the other day, where I wrecked my quads a couple of weeks ago. But this was a different kind of use because you're on the ground, and you know they they get you in these positions. They say try to escape that kind of thing, and you're using, like you said, the muscles in ways you know, I've never used them to you know push around on the ground. My toes, I didn't use toe muscles before, <laughs> so. That was, that's kind of wild, but I, I still say it's a good kind of pain. 
God bless me. me. I didn't get an injured. Thank you, God. Uh, you know, that could have happened. You never know. But it was a lot of hard work, a lot of intensity. But it was really pretty amazing the kind of things that you can learn to do should you get into circumstances and to know that you can handle yourself in those circumstances brings a level of comfort and confidence walking through the world and i think you know whether you're male or female to engage in that kind of uh, sporting i think is uh, something that i would say just as i've said every uh, school in America should be growing food and having the kids grow the food to teach them that their food doesn't come from the grocer's freezer or a fast food restaurant right. they should all be learning self defense how to care for themselves. I mean, this should be a part and parcel to everything that they were growing up with. Yeah. Now, I'm not a big fan of government schools because there are government indoctrination centers and they teach people to be dependent upon a government that doesn't care to protect their rights, but violate their rights. So there's a lot to consider there as well as, you know, many in government. And, uh, you know, unfortunately right now, the people more on the left side of the political fence are arguing that censorship is good because when it when you suppress uh, opinions that you don't agree with or you think are factually incorrect, that you're in the right, you're in the high ground. Yet I warn them all the time, Super Don, I think you agree with me, that if you give government the power to censor the people you don't like and opinions they have you don't like, Sooner or later, someone else is going to take control of that very government that has those opinions that you didn't like, and then the censorship will be used against you. It's a Correct. very, yep. I'd say, spiritually, much less politically immature perspective to be supportive of censorship. I didn't like it when the right wing was doing it. I don't like it when the left is doing it. Where are the people saying it's wrong no matter who's calling for it? No matter and what. I will add one more thing, Super D, before I want your two cents in on this. Mm. When you are let's say wanting to remove certain books from libraries in school because of the content is inappropriate for the age levels there that would be exposed to it. That is not censorship. That is base level as a parent protecting your children from uh, information that when they become mature enough to figure and understand it, that's okay. But that's a different story. And they would like to say that's a blanket censorship when they accuse the right of wanting to censor by burning books. There's a great distinction. If you want to burn books for adults, that's different. But if you're trying to say these kids do not have the ability to see that stuff and know what the heck's going on, that is not censorship, folks. Just want to make that distinction in case anybody's not clear on that. Go ahead, Super D. I think Daddy it's interesting. Interesting that we did you just call me a grandpa? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> you are. Um that, that's true. I am. Um yeah, I think it's interesting that that, we, that the term "burning books" is 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 something that is just so easy to say because mm -hmm. it's like nobody's burning books, you know. I mean, that's hearkening back to you know an event that and a series of events that took place at a time when uh, I, I think there was a bit of a, a a different situation. Literally, they're just saying, "Hey, you know, there's some some basic ethical standards that I think." All normal people <laughs> yeah, would agree on, yeah. uh, and so those things are not appropriate uh, in in you know the certain places where there's kids. You know, it's kind of like drag queen reading hour at the library, right? Yeah. You know, it's like it just kind of makes sense that you know, no, no, that's not that's not normal. That's not appropriate. We're not supposed to do those sorts of things. Um, the people that are advocating for that, I think, that obviously, there's a bigger agenda. Uh, in, yeah, in, there, there's something weird about that. But foot. It there in that censorship situation. thing. There was a number of stories last hour we couldn't get to on censorship. Uh, I love that we're both wearing our freedom hoodies that we got from Jonathan, you know, a year or two or three That's ago. Right. Now. Uh, these are awesome. Uh, they're collector items, too. I think they were like one off the things and he made them all in America. They're nice. Uh, but there's a lot of censorship uh, discussion 
in the news and uh, blog posts, Brownstone Institute, of course, covering it. And then here in hour two, we've got one in the scientific realm. Uh, this is a this is a big one. Uh, stunning act of scientific censorship, it, it reads. Journal retracts peer-reviewed study critiquing COVID-19 vaccine. The journal Curious on Monday retracted the first peer-reviewed paper to provide an extensive analysis of COVID-19 mRNA vaccine trial data and post-injection injuries. The authors of the paper also called for a global moratorium on the vaccines. Oh, that's a no-no. You know that. We have been censored. Of course, we know what it's like to be censored here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. But this is a public. This is something that was already published, and they withdrew it. Now, Dr. Peter McCullough, one of the authors on it, one of the most published authors in the medical realm, particularly in the field of cardiology, he said uh, this is a stunning act of censorship, and he went on and said the journal and its editors had the right to reject the paper at any time during the review process, but once published, he says, it's a violation of the Committee on Publication Ethics guidelines to retract a paper without adequate justification. And he continues, he said, federal agency approval of the COVID-19 mRNA injectable products on a blanket coverage population-wide basis had no support from an honest assessment of all relevant registrational data and commensurate considerations of risks versus benefits. Now, these are things we've covered constantly throughout the time as we were getting trickled out information from the so-called investigations, the trials, the studies that were done before it came out as an emergency use authorization where they claim 98% efficacy, it's safe, it's effective. Really, these were mantras, these were slogans to program you into a, into a state of delirium or stupor that you couldn't think clearly, and then you would just go, get the shot, get the shot. And then people had, had done that, and there's still people uh, subjected to that propaganda believing it despite scientific evidence to the contrary. If this were just a scientific argument, we won that almost from the word go, just from the PCR test on forward. But it wasn't ever about science. It was about a religious view. It was about a cult. It was about demanding fealty, loyalty, uh, uh, that you sign or basically act as if you believe everything the medical church is saying. It's an inquisition. And a lot of people are dying just like in the Inquisition that was more overtly religious. We don't tend to, in this country, look at modern medicine as a religion or a church or a cult, as I call them here, and a number of our, our friends do as well. They recognize what I'm saying. So it's one thing to re retract a paper when there's cause and justification, but there clearly isn't. The data was out there. They reviewed it. They analyzed it. said so there's no basis for the shot. There should be a moratorium on it. And then, you know, this isn't even calling for... Uh, you know, government should ban all vaccines. Look, if you want to, if you want to shot, knock yourself out, I, I think there's not a lot of sound basis in rational, uh, you know, if you have a rational debate and discussion about it to where uh, any of those shots are all that good. But let's put that aside and go to the COVID injections and the mRNA platform. There's, you talk about an absolute disaster, if you're a physician or a scientist and you're still promoting this, you should be embarrassed. Do you have no? Do you have any shame? Do you have any concern or care that you know you have a high level degree and you're using it like it's a degree and not thinking clearly or using the sense that God may have given you? Censorship is wrong, and the good guys are never the good guys if they're the ones calling for censorship. Even if, you know, you could go, well, there, they're a good guy, but they're calling for censorship. That's what I'm saying. I don't care if you are an R or a D or whatever, if you're calling for censorship, and this is why I made the distinction, because then they go, oh, yeah, the Republicans want to ban books. I'm like, shut up. They're not going in and banning books for, if you're an adult, you want to, you, uh, 
All right. I I, I think I I think I point I I've, I've, I've uh, gone beyond my uh, willingness to use certain verbs or verbiage <laughs> that I want to use in case we have you know the family friendly audience that we do have. Uh, I'd warn you if I was going there, but I, I'm not planning on going there anyway. So uh, we'll have to get Peter McCullough back on the show soon and talk about this as well as other things. Now, when we talk about the vaccine industrial complex, the defenders of that faith of the Church of Pharmaceutical Mysticism vaccinology denomination. There are people like Paul Offit, we've discussed for many years. There are many more than that, you know, and the Fauci's of the world can fall into that mix. But Offit has been a, an apologist for decades now for the sanctity of vaccination. You know, he he was written a book and, you know, he's written some books. And he was upset that people that don't believe like he believes sold more than him, you know, and he was a bit butthurt by that. And maybe he was part of the let's call for censorship. Let's somehow limit the misinformation, disinformation, malinformation that they'd like to accuse us of doing when in reality it's all coming from government and government mouthpieces, whether they be in media or medicine. They've been captured. And so we even had a request to off it to come on the show when he was starting to question, uh, you know, Maybe it's not a good idea to give it to kids. Really, is the risk-benefit analysis assessed? Is it really more beneficial than risky to give it kids? Are they really at risk? And we thought, hey, okay, we found some place of agreement. But he refused to come on the show. We'd have treated him fairly. But they don't like to go into places where they're not, you know, worshipped you know, by their sycophants. So I want to ask questions of my guest this hour. I want to bring him into the mix in just a moment here. Because he had engaged in... A, seemingly a very respectful uh, dialogue via email, I think, uh, with uh, Paul Offit here, Dr. Offit. And his name is Rafael Sendro, first time on the Robert Scott Bell Show, his substack, talmudiclaw.substack.com. We'll get some backstory on him, why he knows what he knows, why he's doing what he's doing as well, going back into the history of thousands of years, much less hundreds of years to Ignace Semmelweis, et cetera, and uh, bring him in now. Uh, Rafael Sendro, are you with us? Are you on? Can we hear you? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, Raphael, welcome Keep to the Robert Scabell Show. Glad, thanks for waiting to get on here. And I'm fascinated by your uh, little substack because anybody that mentions Semmelweis, I'm like, oh, somebody actually knows some medical history here. <laughs> Let's start there. And then we'll go back thousands of years more for your interaction with uh, with Offit and others. So uh, tell me your background, your backstory, and how you got here. Okay, where should I start? Um, I started researching a little bit with the vaccine issue, probably 2015, 2016. Um, I remember the first conversation I had, they were, um, you know, it was a very interesting based conversation. I was asking all the, all the obvious questions, someone who was trying to convince me to do more research. And I asked, well, what about all the diseases that we need to prevent? And how do you know the vaccines cause all these problems like autism and whatever else, cancer? So how do you know all that? You know, I was asking honest questions, and I, I, this first time I've never really looked into the issue at all at that point. So luckily, he was he convinced me to do more research. You know, I wasn't convinced over the phone of anything, but at least he um, convinced me to look into the things more. So one of the first things somebody recommended to me was a book, uh, "Dissolving Illusions," by Dr. Suzanne Humphreys and Roman Bistrianic, and that was like really fascinating book i think i i couldn't put it down i think i read it twice um really fascinating definitely recommend it and the reason why that's so important is because they go into the whole history of disease hmm. so there's really like two aspects when you're looking into this question 
you know, should I vaccinate myself? Should I vaccinate my kids? There's really two parts of the question. One part is why, what's the point of it? You know, why do we need it? Why do we need a vaccine? So there, there, you know, the, the industry is trying to tell us, well, we have all these terrible diseases that we're all going to die if we don't vaccinate. Okay. The other half is, well, what's the downside? What, you know, are there any risks involved? So that's another whole story. But even if, before you even get to the first step of why do we need it? So this book really, it's like really throws a whole monkey wrench into the system because we, all of us were under the assumption, you know, for good reason, the, the um, medical industry is um, shoving this assumption down everyone's throat that we have all these horrible diseases, measles and polio and um, pertussis, et cetera. And if we stop vaccinating, if everyone stops, we're all going to drop dead. Hmm. Now, that book, what you see from that book, as you go through the history, that's not really true at all. No, no. You have the, the mortality rates. What yeah. You're, what you're bringing up is uh, the fact that we've been deceived by those who have erased certain parts of our history. Sometimes they don't have to rewrite history. They just simply erase certain inconvenient parts of it that point out what you're pointing out. What I discovered as well in my younger years when I became, you know, in my early years when I learned of homeopathic medicine as a mainstay of medicine and much of its history in America, even though it was born in Germany around the 1790s and forward, uh, that if we don't know history, you've heard this, you're doomed to repeat it. And yet we have not taken those words seriously because they, we've allowed people to rewrite history by simply erasing certain inconvenient facts or truths about medicine or disease, as you point out. Dissolving Illusions is one of those books that is profound in, in helping us visit something we never were taught growing up. Uh, Divided Legacy by Harris Coulter opened my eyes to the entire history of medicine in America that I didn't know. And that included, again, herbalism, homeopathy, naturopathy, and on and on. And it was a, a directly assaulted and attacked by the emerging field of patent petrochemical medicine in the late 19th and then early and throughout the 20th century to today, to where modern medicine has, has uh, elevated itself to a state-sanctioned religion status, not a, a scientific field or endeavor. And uh, I don't know what you, you know, if you have an assessment on that based on reading that book or other things you've read since then, but I, I've lost a lot of respect for it. Not that I'm attacking any individual doctor in this moment, although we'll talk about Dr. Offit in a moment, uh, but your perspectives have shifted as well. Yeah, for sure. And even, um, even if you go back to the 70s, I mentioned if you, um, maybe we'll go through the emails in more detail, but with Offit, I, I, I quoted Rabbi, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein. Uh, he passed away in 86. But in the 70s, he wrote, there was a few things that he wrote. Um, it's not that famous. A lot of people don't know about it, but he met, there were a few comments that he made on the topic of vaccines. One of the things he noticed, even back in the 70s, was that well, he, he, he was a very famous rabbi. Everyone, pretty much everyone in the world would ask him their questions, you know, in Jewish law. He was the person to go to. Very respected everywhere. Uh, even to this day, everything he wrote, we people quote him all the time. So he's very well respected. So when you bring his name up to people who are, you know, trying to push vaccines and you say, well, you know what Rabbi Feinstein said, that like really makes them nervous because they, they're not, they, they were not expecting, they're not really always aware of what he said. But one of the interesting things he, he mentioned is that he noticed that people with the way just certain conversations, people asked him certain questions that well like like a certain woman went to him and said well my doctor wants me to get a few the uh, the rubella vaccine was a few came up a couple times in conversations 
So he said, so she said, well, my doctor said I have to get the rubella vaccine and it's, I'm really scared. So he went on a very lengthy ex explanation saying it's really not as dangerous. Yeah, it, there are cases. We know there are cases it could affect, you know, an infant and, you know, a pregnant woman. There are certain things. There is some truth to that. But he says that it's not anywhere near as dangerous as doc doctors make it sound. And he said doctors exaggerate. They exaggerate it and they, it's, it's wrong. And he even in another comment where he says that it's like idol worship. Mm -hmm. Listening to people, listening, you know, people, they think they have to follow everything the doctor says, specifically when it comes to vaccines. He made this comment that it's, it's, it sounds like people are treating it like idol worship. Raphael, I mean, that's a great point he brought up. And I brought that up since uh, I've learned of homeopathy and natural medicine, because you grow growing up in America, the only models we pretty much had for healers were allopathic medical pharmaceutical representatives of their state, the, the medical doctors. And, you know, so many in the Jewish faith, and I'm not saying exclusively, would go, my son, the doctor, you know, that thing, my the best thing my son could grow up to be is a doctor. And I'm like, yeah, you're the part of the third leading cause of death. I don't think it's that, uh, you know, godly uh, just in and of itself. And I agree. It's more like idol worship, idolatry. Uh, in that context. And I, I think we need to have those discussions within, you know, for right. those of you people of faith out there, whether it be Jewish, Christian, or otherwise, to talk about, are we, uh, you know, overwhelmingly worshipful of people that don't deserve the worship, not because they aren't maybe good people are trying to do good work, but when we exalt people up to godlike status and it's not appropriate, that is idolatry. Yeah, I agree. Uh, we 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 could we could try to change that. You know, there's somebody who I know, a young girl. She's in she's going into medical school. I lent her a copy of Dissolving Illusions, and she's on board with it. You know, she didn't read it yet, but she she knows that there the system is this corruption, and she's going to read it. So hopefully, if we can get more doctors in medical school to start reading these books, you know, we could hopefully. Well, we know that the system is set up that they often get drummed out of medical school or right. the residency if they start asking questions like this. So we know the system is stacked against people of integrity that would ask questions. You you keep your head down if you want to get through residency and you don't ask questions. That's unfortunate. It's like hazing in a fraternity or worse because these people end up uh, doing har harmful things. And of course, the economic conflicts of interest among the pediatric community, promoting vaccines on the basis of fear mongering that if they don't, they're going to die of measles despite the fact that, you know, when you have adequate vitamin A in a modern context, you're not dying of measles, and we have various remedies to address that anyway, uh, rubella and otherwise. Uh, but yes, the economic conflicts of interest are real in the pediatric community. They can often make upwards of, you know, tens of thousands, some hundreds of thousands, depending on the size of practice and bonuses, if they keep the vaccination rates above a certain percentage, like 94, 95, 96%. Right. I've heard of that. So I think it's important for, you know, the more parents that speak up, to their doctors and the more doctors that become aware of it, you know, eventually they can't fight it. If it's, you know, there's too many of us and yeah, uh, yeah we've got to do our part, you know? So now who was it? Was it you that had the interface with off going back and forth by email? Yeah. So the way it worked was the, the event that when he spoke, he spoke in, back in 2018. Um, this is back when the the whole measles insanity was going on, you know. When they, you know, there was one person in Maryland got had a, a rash and a fever, and then everyone everyone went insane, you know. Um, yeah, there was, there was the that was it. So right during that period of time, yeah, this is from my phone. I I recorded that. 
um, at the event. So they, so there, there's a few of the rabbis in the community here in, uh, in Baltimore. They put together this event. The goal of it was basically to convince everyone to get the MMR vaccine. You know, everyone was getting scared of uh, measles that was going around, supposedly. Uh, as a side point, I always noticed how interesting it was that that uh, mumps, apparently, according to CDC records, there's over a thousand cases of mumps every year, going way back. But you don't hear on the news that we, you know, you don't, they're not, they, they, you don't, we turn on the news, they're not trying to scare us into getting the MMR because all of a sudden mumps is going around. Right. Um, and I think the reason is because all of those thousands of mumps cases are almost always adults who are fully vaccinated. Correct. So that it, goes against their agenda. Raphael, are um, you familiar <laughs> with the controversy regarding Merck and the mumps to get the, maintain a monopoly on the MMR that they spike heard of that. the antibodies with rabbit's blood? In fact, there's a movie coming out called Protocol 7 by Andy Wakefield soon, and it's a fictionalized version of that very real-life event or events that are still unfolding. Uh, and, yeah, it's interesting, as you point out, they're not calling for, you know, everybody's got to get the MMR because the mumps is coming back because <laughs> everybody getting the mumps is fully vaccinated, to your point. And they know it won't help. But when, as soon right. as somebody gets a bump on their skin with the measles, then you hear it in the news. That's, you know, mm -hmm. supposedly it does help, um, re you know, reduce the infection rate. So, um so that book, The Dissolving Illusions, that helped me. I learned a lot from, you know, about the history. And then when Offit, so, so, we, so, so this event took place with uh, Paul Offit. So originally I wasn't even going to go. So they were announcing it, you know, they had these flyers going around. Everyone knew about it in the community. Uh, it was going to be at that, uh, a certain synagogue in the community. Um, I was not going to go. Like, why would I go? I was I'm probably going to make me nauseous listening to this guy. Why would I? I was pro I was, wasn't planning on going, and then somebody called me who I happened to know, said, "Hey, well, why don't you go and record it?" So that I, hey, you know what, fine, I'm gonna go and record it. And it's a good thing I did because there happens to be somebody there who was professionally recording it, who happens to be he does that a lot for the video for people in the community. Like does he has a website, um, and he was professionally recording it, but no one he wouldn't give it out. So if you would have asked him for the recording, you couldn't get it. And I even asked him recently, like maybe a couple of months ago, I asked him, by the way, you happen to have a copy of that recording from five years ago in 2018? He said, oh, I think it's on a thumb drive. I gave it to some doctor. So I asked the doctor. He couldn't find it. Like, yeah, they couldn't find it. They didn't have it. So Do you have a suspicion well, as to why he didn't want to release it, really? I think they were afraid that people were going to figure out that he's lying. <laughs> I mean, listening to the whole thing, it was like, I forgot how long it was, like, an hour, over an hour. He went through like 30 or 35 questions. Uh, oh, so the way it works was they, um, they put out an email. The whole community, you could submit your questions. So they made it sound like it was, you know, going to be a really open, you know, thing, very educational. And they actually did. They actually submitted, they actually asked the questions a lot, for the most part, of what was submitted. So this rabbi, Rabbi Howard, was the one who was organizing it. So he was up there on the stage asking the questions and he pretty much organized it based on all the, you know, the input from the community. And he did a good job, you know, asking all the questions that people submitted. The problem is there was no, there was no follow-up and the answers were ridiculous. And you could even hear, um, if you listen to my, my recording, I'm holding the phone right in front of me. Yeah. And um, you could hear, like, I think I, at the point where 
with that, you know, the question that I was actually asking about the emails, I think I said like, what? Like, I, I gasped, like, I, I didn't know what he was talking about. A lot of, it happened several times. Like it was the, the basics, what I came out from there was that he was being dishonest and misleading for pretty much like every answer that he gave. Um, it's by the way, that's not out of character for Dr. Offit and others like him that are apologists for the vaccine religion. Um, they will not go into an arena that uh, is not worshipful of them. Uh, and even if there's a cordial uh, invitation to debate or discuss, um, they typically will not appear uh, because the data, the facts are not on their side. So they have to resort to ad hominem attacks, which are not arguments. They're just, and also various appeals to, uh, well, uh, they're, they're fallacies, Super Don. You know, we've been covering this, my producer, for so many years, watching these people and their behavior. And Offit, uh, Super D, are you at all uh, surprised by the responses here? Uh, and we have, I think, the PDF document of this. I don't know if you put this in the show notes as well for people to read. I have got it right here. Nope, that's there, not it. Oh, that's not it. That's the homeopathic hit. You've it's the other ahead. PDF. There we there go. There it is. That's yeah. it, yes. Yeah. This is the conversation, the transcript of it. Right. Yeah. Am I surprised? Yep. No, I'm not surprised. Yeah. I mean, this is how they how they operate. It's consistent. Um, and in this this exchange here, you know, uh, uh, Raphael, he kind of re refreshes Doctor Offit's memory on what was said during the uh, the you know his his uh, presentation there. And uh, Offit, he 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 actually, uh, uh, Raphael got more out of Offit than we did. Yeah. Because all we did, we asked him because we, you know, we said, you know, uh, for those of you who who don't remember when this happened, uh, there was a period of time several months ago where Paul Offit was agreeing with us about the safety of the boosters, mm -hmm. particularly uh, for kids. Yeah, he was yeah. just like, well, now hold on a second here, you know. <laughs> In reality, what was what happened was that the FDA sidestepped the advisory committee that he sits on and made a decision without consulting them first. And he got butthurt, I think, over the thing <laughs> because they didn't consult him. <laughs> so he decided then to become oppositional to the booster at that time. Uh, but yeah, we sent him an email said, "Hey, look, you know, we agree with you. We don't always agree with you, but you know, on this, we're agreeing with you. Would you like to come on the show?" And he just wrote back, "No, thanks." And that yeah. was it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but in this case with you, Raphael, you, uh, you know, you guys were in, uh, you know, it seemed like things were going well there for a moment. Um, and then he just completely just, he just dropped off, uh, they decided not to. And this was the, this was it right here where, um, Raphael says, uh, looks like we're in agreement. I just want to be sure it's clear the incident rate or infection rate was affected primarily by the vaccine from 1963 to present, but the mortality rate decreased mostly before we had a vaccine, correct? And that's where he ghosted you. No and suddenly, and suddenly it was crickets. Yeah. And the weird thing is that was from five years ago that Rabbi Hauer asked him. Actually, that sounded, that actually, that sounds better right there. Yeah. Let's yeah, that go was, with that. that. Was the whole yeah, whatever just happened to your audio was what better was and then you corrected it and it sounded muddy and worse. I don't know what that was. Uh, a call's coming in. Oh, that's why. Okay. Uh, you know, I think it switched over. It went from your uh -oh. headphone from your headphone mic to the phone mic itself. Yeah. And that actually was sounding better than the mic that you've got on the headphones. Yeah, Should I turn off my mic? Yeah, if you can. 
Uh, it'll actually sound better. Um, but uh, I, I think it's it's illustrative of, uh, uh, let's say, the intent or lack of integrity of those who are engaging in these very serious discussions about, um, you know, the, the, the safety and efficacy of these vaccines that when they are confronted with these inconvenient facts, uh, they would rather not debate or discuss. They just kind of go quiet and go away and ghost you. And then there's no acknowledgement of, you know, the agreement with which you thought you had. Hey, look, the mortality rates were declining long before the vaccine. And then they take out all of the pre-existing mortality data and they start from when the vaccine starts and they blow that up like it was the cause of the drop when it had been dropping precipitously for decades before it. So, again, we this is not new to us here, but, you know, you kind of caught off it in an un- uncomfortable place and he just yeah. then from cordiality and interaction to nothing. Right. It's so misleading about what he said was that he made it, like you said, he made it sound like he started off by saying, yeah, it's true, but it's like, it's almost like he's scared to admit it. Like he's admitting it, but he's scared to admit it. And I'm trying to explain to him, you know, if you're honest with people, you may, people might respect your system a little bit more. <laughs> right. Just admit it. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. This is the fact. But we, I may, you know, explain why you think it's important. Fine, maybe it's important. But to be so misleading, that really just doesn't help. And the last email that he sent, he did send me, was like deliberately trying to be misleading and vague. Uh, he said, um, here he said the last one was what he wrote was advances in high. This is from January twenty nine. Advances in hygiene. Um, yeah, on the screen, and sanitation decrease the incident of many diseases. Plus, advances in medicine and science made for better treatments. Like, I don't even, it's hard to even know what he's trying to say, but it's actually sounds like it's wrong. I mean, the hygiene and sanitation did not, is not what decreased the incident of the disease, meaning the, 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 the infection rate. Um, I think, I, I don't know for sure, but I think the infection rate basically stayed the same. It was the mortality rate that primarily that declined. Yeah. 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 And of course, there's never a discussion, Raphael, of the benefits of these childhood disease exposures uh, that may not be diseases in the same sense, but developmental milestones. Uh, that part of the discussion they want to have, you know, if you bring it up, it's like, oh, you want to kill babies. It's like uh, it's so anti-intellectual. It's just embarrassing. That's why I say I'm embarrassed for doctors and scientists when they won't even engage in this discussion or acknowledge that there are different points of view. And even as they acknowledge within the scientific literature that there are important maturation, uh, you know, transformations of function within the body of a young child or a baby when they're exposed to these things that are beneficial for prevention of disease, including some cancers later in life. I was trying to get that out of him with one of the emails when I asked him about the safety aspect. So that was already pushing it. He was there's no way he was going to answer anything no, about that. No, you couldn't get there. Yeah. There's a there's a very there's a very fun, a nice quote I remember seeing. Um, it's better to keep your mouth shut and let everyone think you're a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Hmm. So that's pretty much the uh, what the medical establishment. That's what they've been going with for the past several years. Like they don't want. They know hmm. from experience. Anytime they open their mouth, it gets them into trouble. Yeah. <laughs> they so, can't. Yeah. yeah. I want to go to your uh, uh, Substack for a moment to wrap up with you here. Yeah, uh, sure. The one I just read was the Semmelweis 2.0 uh, abstract, and it's under uh, Medical Ethics, Volume 1, Part 3. So you've been writing about these things. And, you know, some would say medical ethics at this point are an oxymoron because they are com- they've completely abandoned informed consent. Uh, and remember, informed consent is just not not the, the right to have all the information, but it's the right to say, no, I don't want that without repercussion other than you know, the risk you might be taking or they perceive you might be taking. Uh, we've lost that in medicine 
completely. Government medical media complex is outraged that anybody would argue for informed consent here. Um, but this Semmelweis uh, paper is, is seemingly what you're writing about is, I don't know, a rabbinic or Talmudic law or interpretations of when you could say, no, I don't want the vaccine. Because a lot of people will argue in government and some in, you know, specific to Judaism say, well, there's nothing in the Bible that says we shouldn't get a vaccine. So therefore, if you claim a religious exemption, we're going to deny it because there's nothing in the Torah that says not to get vaccinated. So it kind of goes into that in this regard, some interpretations. Right. What bothered me more was that when some rabbis would say that in Jewish law, it's it's clear, or they claim there are sources that you have to get vaccinated. So that's the first issue. I don't. There is no source that you have to do it. And if anything, it's you can't, you shouldn't do it. So I go into detail, you know, on, on that, on those points, you know, discussing different sources that they quote which I explained very clearly, they don't really, those aren't, those sources don't really exist. They don't apply, they're not applicable. Um, but I, I, would, I would like to explain the title that I called Semmelweis for that yes, piece. It's actually, there's actually three, there's actually three articles. That third one was more like a summary of the first two. So the way, the way I came up with that title is, so Semmelweis, if people don't know, is uh, he was a doctor in the 1800s People were, uh, mothers were dying when they were giving birth, um, a certain disease, I forgot what it was called. Sepsis, infection. They died of uh, just total infection, yeah. So, and everyone was, had, clue, had no idea why they couldn't figure it out. So he decided he's going to figure it out. He tried all these random things, like, okay, I'm, there was some, some priest ringing bells or something, and he got rid of the priest. He tried different things, random things. And then at one point he said, you know what, we're do they were doing, um, there were some corpses that they were dissecting. Maybe we should wash their hands. Maybe there's some piece of the corpse coming up to the, where the baby's delivered. He ended up washing their hands and that worked. He noticed a big difference. They stopped dying. Everybody, you would think, they, they would try it at least because people are dying. It's, you know, it's an emergency. People are dropping dead. This guy, he's a doctor, he's a respected doctor. He says he found something that works. Why not try it? How difficult is it to wash your hands for crying out loud? Mm-hmm. But instead, they all hated him, they rejected it. He and they ended up putting him into for the cause of these women died. dying. It was a, a, an ego response, and we are the exalted ones. And how dare you proclaim that the doctors are the ones delivering death here? We're delivering babies, but you're right. He found out washing your hands after cutting on cadavers was a good practice before you deliver the babies. As it turns out. Yeah. So, we, you know, when people learn the history, we think, oh, that was way back in the olden days. That People were crazy back then. We would never do that today. Hmm. But sure enough, we have COVID and you have many respected doctors who said that they have, they found me- medicine that works, you know, whether it was ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, and they said it's working. So why not try it? They're basically safe. We've been using them for 80 years. Nope, it's illegal. Don't, don't even try it. <laughs> so it's the, same, it's the same thing. People are literally dying. There are thousands of people dying every day. You, you should try it. And what was their, one of their excuses was, well, we have to do a really thorough placebo study to make sure it's safe, that yeah. you know, ivermectin is safe. Right. Well, what about the vaccine? The vaccine. No, we don't need that. Same sentence. Yeah. You have Dr. Fauci saying, but wait, just wait till the vaccine comes out. Then we'll be we'll be okay. 
So it was so without obvious the, that without the gold standard double blind placebo controlled studies. Once again, and I pointed that out for years, and then we are accused by skeptics of heresy. Right? How dare you threaten the you know the 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 sanctity of these vaccines? You're going to be responsible for people dying, and it's unconscionable to do a, a placebo controlled study because you'll be denying life saving saving preventive measures. Like, how do you know it's life saving if you won't conduct a placebo study? Again, these people are not scientists. They're are they're cultists. They're, occult, they're cultists, and I would say the occult as it relates to pharmacia or sorcery. And, and the Church of Pharmaceutical Mysticism, vaccinology, is. I'm not impressed by doctors that still subscribe to it. I believe in freedom, and if you want to use those things, that's your freedom. Although, in a sane world, you'd look at it and go, these things are just dangerous. We need to subject them to appropriate studies so we know and can measure you know, some level of, uh, of of safety versus efficacy. So it can weigh out, you know, what are the risks and what are the benefits as opposed to going, it's all risk and hardly any, well, no, it's all benefit and hardly any risk, as they say, uh, but not based on study. It's just a belief system. It's a religion. It's a, it's a cult for them. So I'll leave you with the last word here. Yeah, so I'll just add that all of these arguments make a lot of sense, but it doesn't necessarily prove anything. In other words, there's a lot of scams out there. So a scam artist will present you with, you know, whether it's a typical scam of the um, Nigerian prince or you have a virus on your computer, something that they're actually getting more sophisticated. They, you know, I'll go through. I've, there was an interesting story with my daughter's um, ticket to, to Israel. We had to call the airline to reserve to pick the seat. We, we bought the tickets, but then we had to reserve the seats. So we, I Googled the name of the airline and I called the phone number. And the lady said, oh, I see your reservations here. It was with a whole group of girls. Well, you have to pay $50 each in order to upgrade, in order to reserve which specific seat you want. So I said, that doesn't sound right. And I called the agent, the travel agent. He said, oh, no. I said, which number did you call? I told him, oh, no. He said, that's a scam. Here's mm -hmm. the real number. Yeah. They, they paid for a Google ad with, their, with, the, with the flight. You know, right. um, oh, they capture um, you and deceive you. Yeah, I mean, these are sophisticated scams that very otherwise intelligent people are falling for. So, uh, but I think right. the vaccine uh, is a long game scan scam that's been going right. on for now generations, and it's deceived very intelligent people. Right, but the best way to to uh, overcome that, to figure out the truth, is through a debate, basic debate. Yeah, you know, they call it in court. They call it the adversarial system. Where you can take your evidence and they can challenge it and they can once you have a debate over a basic debate the truth usually comes out it works it's a system right. that works so when i found this base you know you know the, the book that i read dissolving illusions i knew that there was that it made sense yeah but then i took that information and i presented it to the other side and i said okay what do you have to say about that i should i said paul yeah. off it what do you say about that and when his answer is like weird and and sounds like address the, the merits of the argument or counter it at all. And we know this is the kind of thing we've been up against for a long time. And uh, uh, Rafael Sandro, I appreciate your efforts to do the same and continue it. And, uh, you know, we'll follow along with your uh, sub stack or if there are any other breakthroughs and off it ever responds again. Okay, for sure. We'll definitely be in touch. Thanks, Rafael. Appreciate you being on the show today. Thank you for having me. All right, we got to dive headlong into the homeopathic hit before we uh, run out of time. And then, of course, we got the bonus round. So, what is that hit? Take a hit of this homeopathic remedy. Playing all of the homeopathic hits every day, right here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. 
I don't often introduce a homeopathic remedy by saying take a hit of it. <laughs> well, you'll know why I said that because that's just a little fun. But it is a uh, cannabis, cannabis in this case, indica uh, from India. And that's the homeopathic hit of the day. Super Don has an image of it. It doesn't look exactly the same as what you're used to, perhaps, but it is certainly in the realm of cannabis and what you know it to be. But we utilize it also as a homeopathic remedy or homeopathic medicine. So let's dive into the PDF right now to give you an overview of this easing anxiety sensory challenge type remedy. And uh, it's something that we can't go into depth on. We don't have the time, but just give you an intro and get you to be able to read this and dig deeper. This is a homeopathic remedy claimed for its significant relief in anxiety, sensory overload, and disturbances in sleep patterns. So uh, origin, healing property, sourced from the Indian hemp plant, cannabis indica utilized in homeopathy to mitigate a range of mental and neurological issues. And, of course, it has a tranquilizing influence of the mind, and it offers a reprieve from anxiety and often stress-related conditions. So if we look at its therapeutic profile, we're going to see rest and relaxation right there, including insomnia issues, restlessness issues, sensory modulation, ideal for managing heightened sensitivity to sensory inputs, aiding in reducing the discomfort and agitation associated with sensory overload. Now, granted, if you smoke a lot of weed, in this case, cannabis indica, you might have some of these symptoms. That's why it's indicated for use in those symptoms, whether they're caused by it or not, because the law of similars in homeopathy, even migraine mitigation, alleviating migraine, stress-induced headaches, uh, teeth grinding in your sleep. There's a lot of stuff this can help with. Mental health support, uh, invaluable for individuals grappling with severe anxiety, fear, paranoia, et cetera. Application insights. How about that? Immediate relief in low potencies, 6X, 12X, 12C, 30C. Repeat as needed. If you have chronic conditions, you want to go really deep. Uh, I would urge you to consult with a homeopath that's had experience in utilizing the remedy at high potency. But there are other remedies to consider that might kind of cross over into this realm of help, including coffee accruda paired with cannabis indica for combating sleep issues and even mental hyperactivity. Ignatia, we've covered as well for uh, serious emotional upheavals, grief, shock, etc. And digitalis, interestingly, because one of the things that I didn't have time to get into, including heart arrhythmias uh, on palpitations. So a homeopathic remedy like that could be helpful along with cannabis indica. So once again, considerations for use. It's safe as a homeopathic remedy. You can't overdose on it. But remember, profound mental health considerations, conditions, uh, professional guidance can be of assistance when those things are really serious. Concluding, Cannabis Indica stands out as an indispensable remedy in homeopathy for its profound impact on anxiety, sensory integration, promoting restful sleep, and a whole lot more. I hope you like the homeopathic hits. And this one in particular, and remember, it's not to preclude the use of a doctor should you have or want one, but to provide information, an educational opportunity to give you the ability to make informed consent, right? That's super done, informed consent. We believe in that. And that means not only access to information, but the things that you want to utilize, like Cannabis Indica and most homeopathic companies have to treat it as a schedule one still, and you won't find it available over the counter, despite the fact that you can eat a whole bottle of cannabis indica pellets and you won't get high. Doesn't matter. It's the remedy name that gets it tagged. Federal government's a bunch of morons. Anyway, uh, that's how I ended the homeopathic hit of the day and the Robert Scott Bell show today. And uh, I stand by that. So if you want to stick around, we got a few more minutes to go uh, to do a, well, the bonus round. What do you want to do? Let me know. We'll be back in a moment because the power to heal is yours.
koala bears. I approve. Better than the, the spider stuff or whatever you were doing before. <laughs> I don't know why this layout keeps changing on me. I noticed that. Over it's kind of weird, huh? Yeah. Strange. Things are all out of whack. But, um, yeah, you know, actually, last night as I was <clears throat> working on stuff, after I had my organic uh, steak. And oh, you did? Did you? Oh, nice. Oh, the steak. Uh, the carrots, I think we had with it, too. Um, it didn't turn out quite the way that I wanted it to, unfortunately. Mm. I'm still learning this cooking thing. It's it's not it's not it's not. I like to do it, but you know you have to do things a certain way. And it was a bummer because I made the steak right. <clears throat> I was trying to do it the Chef Ramsay way, mm. uh, and it didn't quite turn out the way I wanted to. And I was like, man, yeah. you know, yeah, this this could have had a better flavor. Um, and then I suddenly remembered that I'd left the organic blue cheese crumbles sitting on the counter that oh. I was going to put on. And I was like, oh, man, that would have been so good. But Could you do it after? No, it was oh. too late. I was, I'd already eaten the steak. I was, was thinking about it. It was the, gone. I could, I could have eaten some blue cheese, I guess, and hoped that it caught up with the steak. But That's what I was thinking. But I, no. I was thinking you should have put some pluck on the steak. Yeah, that's not blue cheese, though. Look, no. pluck is good. It is. Mm -hmm. And uh, blue cheese on a steak or blue cheese on a ham on a burger, awesome. Anyway, so I, I, I'm working after yeah. I had dinner, and I got an email. Yeah, from Rita, loyal listener, Rita. Mm -hmm. Um, also I believe pat patron. Rita. Yeah, and uh, she said I I really am enjoying your videos of like animals and nature before the bonus round, and so I'm really enjoying that a lot. And she says. I have a special request. Could you do koala bears? <laughs> I was like, you know, yeah. Uh, let me see. I can't guarantee it because it's just, just all about what I can find out there as far as uh, videos that I'm allowed to use. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, there was a koala uh, bear. There yeah. were koala bear. Oh, you know what? No, no, no. Hold on. What? Guess who's watching us right now? I don't know. Rita just emailed me. Thank you, Super Don. You are the best. Ah, there you go. <laughs> so thanks, Super Don. You're welcome, Georgia. Rita. He does. He's busy, but he got to Rita. Thank you, Rita. So yes, what I what I've done now is is perhaps I've set myself up here. Mm -hmm. uh, that yeah, you can email you, me. You're getting requests now. Lori if, is asking if, about huskies. Has has uh yeah. Well, listen. I mean, I'll try. I can't guarantee anything because <laughs> again, I've got a pool a video that I am allowed to use without getting into trouble. What about funny cat videos? We already did that. Oh, okay. So there's got to be more than one. We though. did that just the other day. You don't yeah, remember that? There, there's so many funny cat videos. There can't only yes. be one. So, you you um, mentioned koalas and Rita mentioned koalas. I just had this flashback of a memory when I was, a I don't know, a baby or a young kid. And I had like a stuffed koala, not a real stuffed koala, but you know, a koala bear that was a stuffed animal, but it, it had kind of strong. I hope it wasn't a, a killed koala that was, I don't remember now at this point, but I remember a killed it koala. I don't think it was. You're playing with dead koala bears. <laughs> you never know. What kind of childhood did you have? I don't know. Now looking back, I, was it real? Was it not? I don't know, but it was wow. a koala bear. I remember I had a visual of it and my baby blanket. I can remember having both of those. So I just yeah. had this flashback to childhood. Also, I sent you, I don't know if it was today or yesterday, a story about a swimmer who got disqualified for celebrating after the race. Oh, yeah, I watched that. And uh, I don't know if you have it accessible, just the headline, you can show it. But that also brought um, yeah, back a memory. You know, we had Riley Gaines on, who was a swimmer, right? And, you know, I just look back mostly fondly of my years of swimming. And, and I was, as I said, I was a club swimmer 
and a high school swimmer, despite my chronic ailments, I wanted to be an athlete. Remember when I was younger and I played soccer, I had tendonitis, water on the knee, all of that. And the orthopedist we went to said, you just can't do land-based activity. You're just not made for that. I'm like, what? So he said, why don't you take up swimming? So that's when I took up swimming as a, as a sport. And so, well, that's not it. I wasn't swimming under ice. <laughs> no, but this but, is, this is the story. Okay. The, so the video is not, is, is uh, right. So as I'm sharing with you, my backstory here, it'll explain the relationship to this story in just a sec. Yes. Uh, but I, I was, a you know, there were friends of mine who through high school were hardcore swimmers. They would do what I remember AAU or NC, I forget the other word was that, but they were, they were swimming like in high school, they were going like at six in the morning before school to a pool and swimming and competing and traveling. I never did that. I was more I in high school. I was in the high school swim team and I had fun with that. And then when I went to, to university, uh, it was division three athletics. So it wasn't scholarship athletics, pure athletics. And, uh, they had this awesome new pool there at Emory where I went and it was like, uh, I think, yeah, it was, uh, I remember it was Tarn Pure. It was like one of the first ionization pools in the country. So it wasn't cl like chlorine based. It was really mm -hmm. amazing. So I, I, so each year of my year of college, uh, four years of college swimming, I would get better and better and better. And I had some friends who were really hardcore swimmers that got burned out during those years because they were doing two a days during high school. It wasn't just club sports like for them. So for me, I could, but I was sort of naive by the time I got to the level of collegiate swimming because I was a club swimmer. And so the first meet, I remember, we went to uh, Swanee, Tennessee. It was an away meet in the winter. It was kind of snowy and cold outside. We had the indoor meet. And uh, the I think it was the last relay. Uh, was it the last relay is the medley or the freestyle relay? I think it was so long ago now. I think it was the, the, the 400 free relay or the 200 free, whatever. And um, I was, I don't know if I was the leadoff leg or whatever. I swam, we get out, and the last person comes in and, and we won that race, the last bit till we win the meet or something like that. It was a big deal. I was so excited as a freshman in college that I jumped in to the pool before the race was over. And we got disqualified. So so they had a uh, the same rule that uh, is the topic of this new story. Basically. Correct. So it was like a flashback memory for me. And in fact, one of the coaches, they, I, they named, I got nicknamed bombshell at that time because I, you know, jumped in <laughs> bombshell, the whole torpedo, the whole race in the, in the meat or something. Uh, but, so now that makes sense as to why this really stuck out for you. Correct. So, when I saw this, I'm like, Oh, I feel for this person because gotcha. in theory though, this was an NC state. This I think is division one. A swimming so maybe they don't have the same excuse of being a little bit naive and green at the collegiate level right but this guy jumped in to celebrate right on the lane rope entered the other lane but that teammate of his had finished the race but the rule was such that the referee said uh, -uh you're disqualified and so he didn't win the race after all that was i think a singular event not a not a relay event but Anyway. I have, if if you re, if just just to give it some some context here, uh, yeah. they did an interview. This guy here, this guy Ross Dant, mm -hmm. who was his teammate, uh, they did an interview with him uh, after the race, and he kind of goes in and explains, uh, talking about a stand-up guy. Yeah, uh, for what he did, I can, it's only about a minute and a half, but it kind of explains what happened here. A strange one, I know for you. 
Congratulations on one hand. Do you have any idea what happened and your emotions right now? Bring up the level. I think that's the dumbest rule in swimming. Owen oh, Dignity Fair and Square. He used to be on that toe of the podium. He was excited. Can't hear that's it. It's a huge fun for him. Right. I can hear it. Yeah, I know, but we can't. Or at least I can't. Okay. I don't know. I don't know why it's so low. But anyway, so so, so he basically he Yeah, so he says that uh that the why is this doing this? I don't, I don't know. There. There you go. So anyway, he says, listen, I'm not going to accept the medal. He won it fair square. He was the one that, that beat it. And so um, apparently they don't have video of this, or I don't know, maybe it hasn't happened yet or not, but but uh, his intention was that when they went to do the, where they were going to do the ceremony. Yeah. Where they gave away the medals, he wasn't going to go. Okay. Um, because he, it, it was, and, and he, he, I think he, called it one of the dumbest rules yeah in swimming right that uh you know the guy was was they actually did show in that video what happened was he got to the end he was happy he celebrated he hopped up on the on the the rope you know yeah, the divider right. and then fell over into the other guy's lane and, and, and the other guy had finished the race he had finished yeah, the race too yeah so it didn't disturb anything it didn't yeah. didn't get in the way I mean, of anything it's a judgment but, call i don't think he made the right call but yeah. as i said i was i was if i go back to the emotions of when that happened to me i was kind of like yeah obviously embarrassed i was like i can't believe i did that but i didn't know and i was i was just overcome with excitement at the end of winning a race my first i think it was my first collegiate or away collegiate meet and so it was like one of those things they'll always remember and they always had that over me my whole four years of swimming uh with that nickname uh but Anyway, I just, when I saw that, that's why I sent it here to you. Here it is like, here. Yeah. So it's like he won, and so he's like, yay, I won. I'm awesome. Yeah. I can't believe I did this. I'm so excited. I can't believe it's blue. Lane. Right there. That that yeah. action right there is what uh, apparently. Disqualified him, apparently. Disqualified yeah. him. Yeah. So anyway. Yes, I did. I did read that. I did watch it. And, yeah, and, um, now you, and now you know why I brought that to your attention. Now it's I the, understand. Let you know about some of my experiences, my traumatic experiences. <laughs> and uh, there you go. There so we go. had a question just come in. I'm seeing Yolanda, right? What do you recommend for B12 and vitamin C? My husband's doctor suggested I give him to help red blood cell count. I give him the sovereign copper, one tablespoon and a capsule with liver too. Yeah, I would, based on uh, the red blood cell count, if that's an issue, I would give him a tablespoon three times a day of the sovereign copper. And the B-complex I use includes the B12, a whole food form uh, from choosetobehealthy.com. Let me see if I can uh, bring this. I'm going to drop this into the uh, chat there for you, Yolanda. This is what I'm using currently for my B-complex, which includes B12. Uh, I'm not a big fan of uh, vitamin C because most of it is just a, an isolate. Not that it's really technically that harmful because it's water-soluble, but there are whole food C concentrates uh, if you will, or whole food C complexes that could have some benefit, but it's because, you know, big time copper is really a big driver of, of C in, in nature. Uh, so I would say the copper, if, if the blood cell count is the big issue would be much more, uh, warranted than a, a vitamin C formulation of some kind. So that's just my assessment. Anybody else want to add into the mix? Go ahead, go right ahead. All right. Blood builder. It's another one. Um, you also have uh, chlorophyll, liquid chlorophyll, another blood builder. So there are a number of things you can do there. But the B-complex or the, what is this called? The product called uh, Food Research B-Stress Complex. I get that from choosetobehealthy.com. Use RSB5 when you go so you get a little discount.
All right. So over on Rumble, uh, had a couple people chime in. Mayor Gabriel uh, mm-hmm. was uh, talking about the same book that uh, Raphael was reading, the one by Suzanne Humphreys. Dissolving Illusions, yeah. Yeah, she said that uh, that was a great book. After reading that book, I was convinced vac- uh, vaccines are poison. And then uh, uh, Marge, mm-hmm. who's all, always, she's, I mean, she's all, we can always count on Marge to be there yes. uh, in, the, in the chat room. Uh, apparently when you were doing the homeopathic kit of the day, yes, which is cannabis India, which happens to be made from Indian hemp. Yeah. Not from, uh, Maui, Wowie. <laughs> uh, yeah. Marge, uh, I think she was, she was poking some fun at you and she says, Hey, Cheech. Cheech. <laughs> she called you Cheech. Right. That's funny. Does she have a comment other than "Hey Cheech"? No, just "Hey no, Cheech." Just wanted to let her know. Okay. That's hey, it. today is today the day we're doing the Cardio Miracle webinar. Fast it is tonight webinar. here in about uh, two hours, I guess. Yolanda, right? you want to have your husband join in on that one? Uh, yeah. Sign up; it's free, and usually we do it in one hour or less. Sometimes yeah. is there free. like a Q and A too? Yeah, yeah. There's Q and A. It's moderated so that you can send messages and questions, and if we can't get to them right there, then there'll right. be an email follow up. But please share that link with your friends to join in. There's a, there's a it, you should have gotten if you're if you're subscribed uh, to our email list, you would have gotten a couple of emails on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you did not, yeah, uh, there's a huge old banner in the show notes today. Yeah. Um, in fact, you, you can't even get to the show notes without looking at it. Um, where I twenty ninth of February. Yep. So yeah. if you. Uh, you want to click on that you can register if for some reason you're not able to make it at uh, 4 p.m pacific uh 7, 7 p.m eastern. eastern time you can still register and you will get the uh the replay of the the webinar sent to you emailed to you mm-hmm. the link so anyway all right so hetty Hetty has a uh, a question here. This is, uh, hey, okay. I submitted a question on the website. I was wondering if you had time to address it. Uh, I'm wondering, oh, let's see, it's too long for the thing, but I'll, I'll read the rest. I'm wondering if the meningococcal, that's a great word. It's, yeah, it's uh, hard to say, isn't it? You man, great. there's how many, how many consonants are in that mm-hmm. word? Uh, I'm wondering if the men- meningococcal <laughs> vaccine sheds. The kid I babysit at my house got it today, and I'm wondering if I need to take precautions for my kids who are uh, not vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Meningococcal vaccine. Yeah. Meningi- and- meningitis, right? Right. It's, yes. Yeah, it's related. Um, yeah, all right. Now, it, it is considered primarily bacterial. I think that's the focal point, believe it or not, of the, uh, you know, it's respiratory, right? And, you know, when you think about respiratory spread, you think about mucus, right? Breathing, coughing, you know, that kind of thing, sneezing, whatever. So is there a risk when you introduce this artificially by injection to those around them? Yeah, I believe there is a risk. Now, having said that, they have antibiotics, even though I'm not an antibiotic fan, but it's there. They know it. It's not mystery. It's not kind of controversial to address that. Uh, and, of course, the use of bioactive silver hydrosol, I would say in prophylactically at this point, because you know there's an exposure vector if you're going to be hanging out with someone recently injected with this thing. 
I would do intranasal spray, throat spray, you know, eyes, ears, no, everywhere. And provide a layer of just in case. Now, often over the years, if we're talking about bacterial meningitis, this really only happens to those that are very vulnerable, weakened, immunodeficient. And, you know, over the years, Super D, you probably remember, you know, there were outbreaks like on college campuses. Yeah. And I bring up the fact that many of these things are happening because these kids are eating junk food 24-7. They might be partying, drinking lots of alcohol, who knows what else, a lot of immunodepressants and suppressants, uh, staying up late, not sleeping, stressed out from having to study or cram and do things. So it's And they live in close quarters, often not the most sanitationally hygienic uh, practices that these kids have at college. And that adds up to an unusual explosion of a bacterial issue that they claim can kill you very rapidly if left unchecked. And I don't deny that that has happened. It has happened. And that's where, you know, arguably you'd say a a, a massive nuclear infusion of antibiotics may be life-saving. But it still ignores the precipitation of that ever manifesting by eating right, staying hydrated, sleeping well, better hygienic, on and on it goes. So it isn't just that you're exposed. You have to be vulnerable is the point, the terrain. And, 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 and and I guess it's, it's really, it's a combination, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's like, you know, if you get exposed to it, you still may get it in, to some degree, but well, your you body will be able to, to it fight and, it off and yeah, deal it, with it. No versus, symptoms whatsoever because right. it, it's really, if it were as, let's say, virulent, like we talk about measles, they say, oh, everybody's exposed to it, you get it, right? Um, that's not exactly accurate, but the same scenario exists that we are exposed to everything in our environment all of the time. Why are we not dead? We have within us anything that could theoretically kill us, including Listen, E. coli in our colon. Everybody... If you've been along, uh, uh, whoa, Steve, boy, you you slaughtered that word. <laughs> I'm a ninja cockle. <laughs> Put a ninja in there. Is that where you get hit by a ninja? Oh, he did there. that on purpose. Never yes, mind. Of course. That's, he put that's a little cute. picture of a ninja. Okay. I like that. All right. Anyway, anyway, yes. uh, anybody who's been alive long enough has had that experience where you get a cold and it's just like, oh, man, I'm just like, you know, my head feels like it's going to explode. And then there'll be another time where you'll you'll, you'll get the same beginning, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, my nose, I'm kind of congested, you know, is it like that? And then and it's gone, yeah. right? You know, so I'm your, obviously your immune system handled that situation differently than it did on one of the other times where it really, really knocked you out. Yeah. Now, going back to the shedding uh, uh, question, I just did right. a little re- little research here real quick because I was kind of curious what the the you know the mm-hmm. the eggheady uh, yeah. uh, explanation would be on this. And apparently, uh, when it comes to the the vaccines that are used for 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 meningitis, there's two different kinds. So the the the, the answer is really going to depend on if the person got a certain vaccine, whether they shed or not, because apparently there's one that is, does not have the live virus. Cause you know, I mean, look, at least my understanding is that, that shedding comes from a, a vaccine that, that is, uh, you know, has the live virus. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where the shedding takes place. There's more than one meningococcal vaccine there. Uh, one is, does not have the live virus, but the other one, which does, it's called Bexero. Mm-hmm. We've talked about Bexero before on the show. Um, that does have the potential to shed. They say it's rare, but the potential is there. So 
I guess, you know, the, the, the answer to the question by Hetty uh, would be do whatever you got to do to protect yourself or, or your kids, mm-hmm. right? And and one part of that would be making sure they're in good health. But, you know, if this is something where you're watching the kid today, there's, you know, certain things I guess you could do. What would you like spray them with silver, you know, or. Oh, I, yeah, I would. And, and <laughs> you know, and I this mean, brings up the other hygiene, right? Hygiene. Yeah. But homeoprophylaxis in this case would be advisable because you know there's an exposure vector and it's not a guarantee that your kid will get sick, but this is where you can train the immune system to the, you know, energetics, the imprint, if you will, of um, the essence of what is claimed to be the causative agent in something like um, meningococcal disease or meningitis, the inflammation of the meningi. So I would say the homeoprophylaxis would be good. Of course, we can deal with fever. Uh, various remedies we've covered in the homeopathic hits that can address that. But if you want to resort to a home, I'm sorry, an antibiotic, you know, that's an option in our society. It is. And find out, find out if if you can without it, you know, causing some sort of issue um, with the parent or something like that. You could just kind of just say, I was just curious, what what vaccine did they give your child? They may not even know. You know, it's not like the, the doctor probably comes in and says, I will now give your child the Bexero vaccine. Mm-hmm. They're just like, here's the vaccine. They, who knows, you know, um, whether the parents even know. But if they yeah. got, if if the child got the Bexero, then there's a higher chance of shedding sure. to take place. Well, I like this. This is a good timing of your vaccine schedule is very important, according to Steve, for safety. He says, I only recommend taking vaccines on February 31st. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah. Let's see. That's good. Hold on. Let's see. Hold on, Chris hold on, is hold asking on. about. Hold on. Hold on. Go ahead. There you go. Good rim okay. shot there. Uh, forms of B vitamins and activated forms, a.k.a. reduced metabolites. Yeah, I, I'm looking at the Swanson formula, and I don't know the derivatives, how they're putting it together as far as that goes. Is it a whole, truly a whole food formula? It doesn't look like it to me. Um, you know, I realize that there can be things that, that are efficacious in some ways. I'll tell but, you what, man. Hmm. If uh, Do I have any of it here? Hold on. What are you wow, looking this, for? This actually has some in it, man. I should be using this. I didn't realize. I thought this was an empty prop. Um, you got some not. living food? Holy cow, dude. Yeah. I know what I'm having after we after I we, uh, awesome. we turn things off here. The living fuel. Yeah. If you haven't tried this before, uh, this is good stuff. Makes a great smoothie. And if you're, it's, listen, if you want to make sure you are getting uh, as, much B vitamins and vitamin C as you possibly can uh, all in one, you know, like a, I don't know. Living fuel is like the Sherman tank of nutrition. Uh, if you really trying to hit things hard, am I, am I lying? Am I, am I wrong? No, it is that it's not, I food, mean, kitchen sink food thing. Uh, let me see. What does it say here? Uh, where's the vitamin C? Okay, so uh, one serving of the living fuel, which our, our good friend Casey Krejci, uh have you talked to him, by the way, recently? In a while. I call him every once in a while, but he seems to be doing much better. Is he, is yeah. he doing better? Yeah, good. yeah. Um, anyway, uh, more vitamin C in one serving than in seven oranges. Mm-hmm. Now, who's going to sit down and eat seven oranges, right? Right? right. Yeah. Way more vitamin C than you're going to get uh, pretty much with anything else. And then what was it? The B vitamins? Yeah. Let me see. Does it does it say B vitamins? Oh, more. Here we go. Ready? Uh, 
B B twelve. Of course, that's not what we're looking for, right? Wasn't B six yeah. or something B12. like that? B twelve. Mm-hmm. More vitamin B twelve than thirty servings of cheese. There you go. Now I like cheese. In fact, <laughs> I, I had some. I snacked on some during the show today. Yeah, the uh, organic, your- the organic uh, sharp cheddar from Walmart is awesome. I'll okay. just sit there and eat cheese. It's not a Walmart <laughs> brand, is it? It is Walmart. Brand. Really? They yeah. private label organic they, cheese. They now. they do. They they uh-huh. they have great value uh, uh, organics. Anyway, thirty <laughs> servings of cheese. I mean, you you're, you won't be able to go to the bathroom for a week, you know. But uh, so anyway, it's just something to consider. I mean, it um it I love this stuff. I, I cherish it, and obviously, I cherished it so much I didn't use it. Wow. I wonder when it expired. <laughs> March of twenty two. I'm still going to use it. Okay, go for it. <laughs> Anyway, it might be a little less potent, but hopefully it'll be. I don't care. Good. Yeah. It's good stuff. This is this is the good stuff. This is the uh, the the superberry ultimate. Superberry, that was my favorite yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, living fuel. That's something else to consider. Okay. All right, Hetty. Uh, let's see. I doubt. I doubt they know the type based on the conversation we had already. She said it was for kids. Uh, grade, grade six, six or, or age, six. age six, something like that, and her kid is two. Are we talking about the meningococcal? Okay. Cockle? Uh, yes, vaccine? she's talking about the vaccine. Yeah. Which one? Yeah. <clears throat> I'm still shocked that I. St- I, I, I just... <laughs> awesome. Who knows hey, what well, else I'm going to find when I when I do? We have this, uh, 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 Michael Bolden coming on tomorrow. Yes. I, I only hope that I can remember that he has the best rock and roll introduction since. Mine years ago, dude. But that's not Mickey friendly uh, music, and so yeah. Look, I got mom, in trouble. I got in with trouble it. with the music before. If you remember, yeah, mom, uh, like, mom gave me a complex. Yeah. So if you notice, I have gone like big band swing music. I know, I know, bluesy jazz stuff. You know, for or whatever. Michael Bolden, she doesn't complain. Just for I us. made an exception yeah. for Michael, which I'm sure she'll be yeah. she's fine, okay with. But yeah, uh, I just got to remember every time I want to bring. If him I in, gave you a rock and roll intro, which yeah. I used to do, yeah, I mean I went pretty heavy, yeah, uh, on some of the music that we used for the for the show back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, it was but, awesome. Yeah, I don't. All right, get but in we trouble. got what? Any anybody else beside Bolden tomorrow? Uh, let's take a look. Tomorrow. It is Bolden, who I guess would be an hour two. Um, no, it's just you, me, and Michael B. Excellent. Yeah, that works. Tomorrow is what, March 1st? Tomorrow is the 1st of March. We are a quarter of the way through the year already. <clears throat> Dude, the snow's all melted away. Oh, good gone i i thought i mean we we're supposed to be like 40 something degrees today so i knew there's a really good chance that uh it was yeah, gonna melt stick off. around yeah 37 well, well there we know. are all the way last final day of february the leap year 29th today uh hope to see you guys in uh, less than a couple hours from now for our vascular remedy or vascular discussion uh special event and even if you can't make it live, sign up for the for the uh, event so you can get sent the the replay, when you can watch it at your leisure. Yes. Yeah. Big old banner, robertscottbell.com. Today's show notes. You can't miss it. Yeah. So on that, note, we'll see how I am tomorrow. If I'm even more sore tomorrow from the uh, jujitsu or not. Well, you know, I mean, you know. 
typically that's what happens. Yeah. But it, as I said, it, it's not as bad as I thought it might be. I feel actually pretty good coming out of it, considering that's not the way I've used the muscles in the past. But I, you know, I'm just acknowledging that, yeah, it was a different, if it's not a different set of muscles, it's using the same muscles I use upright in a different way because you're, you know, often you're on your knees or you're, you're rolling around, you're, you know, you're trying to pin somebody. It's a whole different thing. So I, you know, I feel it differently, but it was a cool experience. I'm glad I got to start with Shane Ellison, the people's chemist. And, uh, uh, that was great. If you, if you're in Scottsdale, check out element jujitsu. That's where I got my first lesson. They work, they work it hard, but it was really great. And they're family friendly too. A lot of, a lot of kids are there. Now you got to find out where around you there. Well, I, I put Shane in charge of that. I said, Shane, cause he's good at that. He's like, he knows kind of how to sense or sniff it out. Right. And I said, if you know the area, Give a look out and give me a heads up if there's something that you would give a thumbs up to, and I'll check it out. You can't just like look it up. No, I mean I don't know how to judge these things. I mean he's <laughs> he's the guy I rely upon. Oh yeah, I admit. come on. Yeah. Why? Well, how, I'm still going to kickbox in the meantime. How's he going to know? He does. You think he, 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 you think he knows like every jujitsu? Well, uh, he knows uh, a lot of them, but he's he told me stories about how he's. You know, kind of people around the country have asked him and he's like checking it out and he's got a thing about it. So, yeah, I had a sense that he kind of knows. So, uh, Shane, if you're not, there, he's not listening, he's there is a place nearby you. I'm looking at it. So right just now. send it to me and I'll review it or I'll send it to Shane to review. Don't say it until that. There's until two then. of them. actually. Yeah. Right, right, right. Close to you there. All right. You can send it to me. I'll, I'll review. It. I'll okay. send it to Shane to see what, what he says. <laughs> Because I told going. you, listen, I told you, if you yeah. do that, I'll yeah. go, I'll, I'll go to the gym. I will. Yeah. Why doesn't anybody push back on Super Don? Say, well, Super Don, you should go for yourself, not just because Super Don saying that you have to. Robert has to go to. You know, like, I don't see any pushback on this. I agreed because I want you so de desperately to go and work. Are that you body. feel? Are you feeling kind of alone in this situation here? Yeah, I'm all alone. I'm the only one working yeah. out. All right. I can only work out for you for so long, right? Trying to uh, do that yeah. for Jonathan Emore too while he's on the road doing the campaign thing. So it's all it's all in love. Yes. Um, all right. So you told Jenny that I went to jujitsu, didn't you? Or you forgot, didn't you? Actually, didn't I don't come know up. if I did or not. I can't remember. I told you to tell her. Yeah, I probably forgot. <laughs> I'll tell her. Yeah. I will let her know. Um, all right. So anyway, thanks for hanging out with us, guys. Appreciate it. Um, Lori, I will see what I can do about your request for Huskies. Yeah. And if anybody else feels like they'd like to make a request on on that, uh, that might be kind of fun. Mm -hmm. You can always shoot me an email, askrsb at gmail.com. Yeah. All right, man. Well. See you tomorrow, God willing, less than 22 hours from now. Oh, actually, see you less than two and a half hours. Well, less than two hours from now. Take a break, and I'll see you back. We've got a big webinar on cardiovascular health. Join us. Join me and Josh Hewlett and maybe some surprise guests. We'll see. And uh, we'll see you there. All right. See you later.